0: a hard-nosed mother is seeking justice for her murdered daughter. With no arrest after seven months, Mildred puts up three billboards to goad Flabbing's police chief into action. But the law, and especially Sam Rockwell's hot-headed deputy, don't take kindly to provocation, and the townsfolk are on their side. But Mildred doesn't mind ruffling a few feathers. In fact, she's happy to pluck the whole bird. Welcome to another feature presentation of Midnight Double Feature, and on this episode we'll be covering 2017's three billboards outside Evan, Missouri, directed by Martin McDonough.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another feature presentation episode of Midnight Double Feature. I'm here with my main man Colin. Colin, how you doing?
0: Welcome back. It's almost like
1: you never left. Welcome back. <laughs> What's up, buddy? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, uh it, it, honestly, it does feel like I have left. Like ser- like yeah. we, we 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 just called each other off uh, off air and uh it kind of like hit me when I heard your voice. I was like, dude, I haven't I haven't heard that voice in, like, a long time. Like, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and after, like, ten minutes, we're like, I'm fucking sick of this dude. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shutting down the
1: podcast. See you it,
0: later. It, it seems like forever until you, I mean, because we talked for a minute before we started recording, and it was like, all right, back in the saddle,
1: we're going to go. Yeah, exactly. And then we had to watch this depressing-ass movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, oh, we're really coming back in at an all-time high, you know what I
1: mean? Oh, yeah. spirits, Spirits lifted. Spirits lifted, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, after watching this movie. Uh, But no, thank you so much, guys, for joining us for this feature presentation episode of Midnight Double Feature. Um, We're going to be moving through three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I'm not going to do any accents today. That's the only little bit of tinge that I'm putting at the end there. I swear to God. (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's not too many of them in there, surprisingly.
1: Oh, you know what? I'm going to be talking about fucking Abby Cornish's weird, weird Australian accent slash American accent there at the start, even though she is Australian. But whatever. I'm gonna. I got some nails to fucking you know punch into her coffin
0: yeah <laughs> the most unrealistic thing about this movie is the fact that she's fucking woody harrelson i'm like bullshit <laughs> when i saw that i was like no way this woman is like this woman's gonna fuck ryan reynolds or like ryan gosling or somebody i was like there's no way she's fucking woody harrelson dude I'm Like, come on
1: and the second most unrealistic thing about this movie is that woody harrelson has a nice cock like come yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> it's probably all mingled and frumpy and shit probably probably but uh no we're gonna be moving, moving through this movie uh we're to we'll be talking about it, breaking it down, um, giving our thoughts on it. But in order to do that, we're going to have to spoil the movie. So if you haven't seen uh, this film, then um, you know, come back and revisit us some other time. But. That also means that we're going to be swearing, so as you like to say, Colin, there is an E on this motherfucker for a reason, Mm -hmm. if you haven't realised already that we're going to be swearing. Uh, But no, if you're not already, uh, please follow us on our socials, we're on Facebook, we have uh, two pages, we have our main page called Midnight Double Feature, that's where we post all of our updates, uh, including what we're... Uh, what new episodes are dropping, and we post posters on there and things like that, and then we also have our uh exclusive group called the after Party uh please feel free to join the after party you don't have to pay any membership there's no none of that bullshit It's just a great fucking community where people come together and talk films there there's actually a great question that uh one of our uh one of our great great after party members Danny Falch posted uh in regards to this movie well. Somewhat related to this movie that we'll get to towards the end. But yeah, seriously, if you want to, if you want your, um, if you want your questions discussed or if you want to discuss anything on Facebook uh, feel free to hit us up on the after party Uh, we're also on Instagram which is at Midnight Double Feature and we're on Twitter which is at MDF Pod. and you can listen to us anywhere including YouTube Spotify and iTunes Uh, and please 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 remember to rate and review us on iTunes that would be fantastic please give us however many stars you feel like we deserve Uh, but please tell us why you're giving us those stars please tell us what we need to improve on please tell us uh, what we're doing right. We obviously love compliments (laughs) and yeah, but look, without any further ado, Colin, what did you think of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri?
2: Eh,
0: all right.
1: No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So I had heard, this is one of the few
0: moments in... My movie-loving podcast, having whatever you know uh, phase of my life, career, what have you, um, where there was a lot of hype around this, not enough to where it ruined it for me. Thank God, you know, nice. you start hearing so much hype about shit, and like, you know, there's a few movies like that that just like totally get fucking ruined for me. But I feel we've like- covered
1: a few where you've had that that same reaction. I can't I can't remember specifically which ones, but. Yeah, no, you've yeah, definitely mentioned yes. that
0: before. Dude, it, it absolutely happens all the time. Um and I'm not gonna lie, a little bit of a spoiler alert, it happened for it chapter two. Go see oh. it for yourself. <laughs> um so
1: basically um oh, by know, the way just just quickly colin while you're talking about it chapter two um i i did read out your thoughts on the last upcoming attractions episode i hope that's okay
0: <laughs> no yeah that's fine i was actually listening to it on the way to work this morning and i just i forgot to pick back up where i left off i have been i've been trying to finish this audiobook uh stephen king's needful things it's fucking really cool but i've got like four hours left and now i've you started a new job by the way fucking congratulations Thank you. Um, Likewise, you, you started a new job. Too. Yeah, Congratulations. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I went from working in a warehouse to an office job, which is uh, a big uh, for someone who doesn't have a college education. That's a big step up for me. But nice. I can no longer listen to podcasts because I can't have my phone anywhere near my desk because I do a bunch of legal shit now somewhat, you know. Um, but basically, I, I can't finish the goddamn audiobooks. So I listen to it on the way to work now. Um, but no, yeah, thanks for reading out. Cause I was like, God damn it. They did it chapter two and they didn't read my shit off <laughs> and I just didn't get to it yet. Um, so yeah, the hype didn't, the hype didn't ruin this for me. I knew, uh, I mean, come on, man, Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand. I, I, it's Third. not bad. There's no way, there's no way it's going to be bad. Like, Frances McDormand is a powerhouse by herself. I don't think that. I mean, I'm glad that she won the Oscar for it and she's what she's what well, this and Fargo I think are the ones that she's won for. You know better than I. I mean, you're the Oscar I so. out here.
1: Yeah. Um, I believe I believe it says
0: too, yeah. Right, but the the powerhouse of them, you know, and Woody Harrelson, you know, he's kind of in and out, you know, he's only in, not, he's not even in, it doesn't even feel like 10 scenes, you know, he he really comes and goes kind of quickly. Um, but he is, he drives the plot so far and he drives the Kind of soil that our story is planted in, uh, because he is a—I mean, he is literally in the plot of those billboards. Peter Dinklage out of fucking nowhere, you know, not a, not a guy who's—I mean, he's not—I don't know. I feel like he's bigger than the, and I don't mean this. This is not a pun. I feel like he's bigger than the role that that he was in. You know, he's kind <laughs> he's of he's son a, of a bitch, right? I, I mean, he's going to change
1: your name <laughs> to Dixon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's um you know—he's a big actor, and I was surprised by how you know. um kind of small his role was and especially this time like this is this is peak game of thrones Right. That's what I'm saying. And I was like, man, this is weird. This guy was the antagonist for like one of the biggest X-Men films that has ever come out before this came out. I was like, that's just really odd. And um, either way, you know, uh, I I could picture this coming out around the time he did like Bad Santa or no um, Elf with Will Ferrell. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not bad. Santa. Oh, yeah. Different, different, different little person in a uh, Christmas. (laughs) Um, But um, but no, I, I thought that they just absolutely knocked it out of the park. It's one of those movies where right when things start to like right when things start to get a little laggy almost for me where it's like okay i feel like we're hitting a bit of a lull and i don't know what's going to happen next dude it's like it it would be like walking down the street and somebody coming up and punching you in the mouth out of nowhere i was like what the fuck like when this when something happens you know um like the conversation between woody harrelson and her you know and just shit like that you know sam rockwell's character is like is like, it's like Charlie from Always Sunny. It's like, wow car, bitches! Like, that's all I can fucking think of, because out of nowhere, here comes this total fucking left turn that it's like, oh, my God. And
1: yep. there's a couple Zero of things. Zero to 100 real quick.
0: Yes. And there were a couple of things. Like, when I was talking, uh, Lindsay and I were watching this. I'd never seen this before, by the way. This is, this is my first time ever watching this. And- um, <laughs> As I was watching this, there was a couple of things that I that I called and that I caught. I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. You know, this and this and this and that. Not that I'm just oh, I'm such a, you know, smarty, smarty, smarty pants with film. Um, But it was uh, there's a couple of things that I, I could tell were coming. But, you know, I feel like as you get older, you watch movies and you're like, man, I just wish that guy would watch up, walk up and punch him in the fucking mouth. And it never happens because it's like, well, it's the real world. You'll get hit with assault charges and blah, blah, blah. This movie doesn't give a fuck. It's like, I'll walk right up and hit you in the goddamn mouth. I don't care. Um, That's why that's actually what I love about Hopper and Stranger Things in the first season is I was, which, by the way, spoiler alert, you know, when they're when they're trying to find out if Will Byers is actually dead in the first season of Stranger Things. And he just breaks into Hawkins, like punches people in the mouth and pulls guns on. I was like, hell, yeah, this isn't like some covert like. I've got to find some way to get in here without breaking the law. It's like, I don't just give a fuck. Force. I'm just going to. Yes, yeah. brute force. I mean, that's just kind of what I grew up on was people who were, you know, people who took law into their own hands. And, you know, the the the, the Charles Bronson death wish, the Punisher, you know, almost like vigilante justice, which in some cases in real life, it can be kind of fucking cool sometimes. <laughs> I hate to say it, but there are some instances of stuff that that uh, Francis McDormand's character. What is her character's name? I am blanking so hard.
1: Mildred Hayes.
0: Mildred, uh, there are plenty of things and and people in real life who've done things like Mildred have done that I personally agree with. Now, not everyone feels that way. Some people think eye for an eye, whatever, what have you. I'm not here to debate that. Uh, but I do think it makes like prisoners for a very interesting moral and philosophical conversation. Um, I think that there is some like Tarantino level cinematography in this. I, I kind of got almost like a Django feel sometimes, especially like the night shots and stuff. It is kind of shot in the south. So, but... Actually, this was shot in North Carolina, which is uh, which why it I think it kind of feels like Django. It's very got that southern kind of feel, but uh, it, it's just one of those things that like it just takes so many twists and turns, and you don't think this character is going this way, and then it does. Uh, it's it's great. It's a great story about the the problem with letting your temper or letting your anger get a hold of yourself. It's it's a great movie about redemption. It's a great movie about how far is too far, and at what point. At what point, are you in your attempt to punish others punishing yourself? And and I th- I think that that's a great commentary that this has is, are you are you really cutting off the like I, I don't know are, it's kind of like it it's it's like trying to you know it, it's like it's like stabbing yourself in the arm because you're trying to choke somebody to death. You're, but at what point does the arm just completely, You know what I mean? It's like at what point is it more harm to you to harm that other person? Right. I, I think that's great. I think there's so many fantastic. I will say and. Lord knows, you know, I've never gone into, like, a lot of religious stuff on here. I'm not a religious person. You know, that's a whole other conversation. But there is a lot of, like, religious kind of subtext through this. There's a lot of, like, messianic, like, redemptive kind of stuff. And it's it's not super heavy-handed, which I really appreciated about it, but there are stories – of a lot of this is like a story of it's a story of revenge. It's a story of redemption and it's a story of almost forgiveness. And that that's that's what I think I liked about it the most, is the cherry on top of it of um, do you think you could ever get past this? And it's so fresh, you know, it's seven months old that this thing has happened, the burn marks are still in the fucking grass, and you're like, oh my God. But, you know, I I think that um I think that this this is great. I think a movie like this only comes around. Every so often, and and I don't say that, you know, I I save that for only a few things. I think that it's, I think that it's ninety percent score on Rotten Tomatoes is totally earned, and the hype was, I, I dare say, it could have been hyped a little bit more because this was just a fantastic movie. I would have no problem going out and buying this, and I think this is like. This is kind of like it's not as it's not as hard of an attempt as prisoners, but you can almost put it in the same kind of, you know, this person does this. So this person reacts and blah, blah, blah. And everybody is making these wrong decisions based off of fear and anger and, you know, losing someone that they love. Um, So I think they have a lot of things in common with that. But, yeah, I I just I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's, it's nice to come back to stuff like this after doing like fucking child's play. You know what I mean?
1: well fuck yeah man like that was my intention <laughs> um, so I mean obviously look Charles Play I, I I said on the last up- upcoming attractions never seen it never seen the original and before that we did Joyride so like we did do we, we did two sort of like I guess schlocky sort of like You know, movies that you can just sit down and watch anytime and be entertained. So I was like, man, and I don't think I've ever said this on the episode, on the podcast. I've said it to you plenty of times, but my personal favorite episode of ours um, is Prisoners. I love that episode. I I love going deep, like doing a deep dive on it. And like, obviously, like, you know, true crime is a bit of a well, not true crime, but you know, like the mystery, tr- uh, like crime sort of elements of it is sort of a bit of a an interest of mine personally. So going back to something like this, like that's why I'm just like, man, I'm, I kind of crave that. So I don't know why this movie particularly came to my mind first. Maybe it's just because I, when I watched it in t- 2017, it just kind of affected me. Like I was like, man, like this, this stayed with me. And the reason i watched this was because you know every year i i I do watch the movies that kind of get nominated for the oscars like you know it's like okay there's a there's kind of a lot of a lot of fucking hubbub around these movies so let's let's just check out what they're about and uh my friend chris and i we kind of like you know cross cross start crossing them off the list uh we watched three billboards outside abing missouri man and like man this this thing just floored me like um I think more than anything, I love the blend between dark drama but also the really sort of black comedy. Yes. This this has a weird blend of really, really hard-hitting drama but at the same time really, really hilarious moments. It it reminded me a lot of Breaking Bad in that way. (laughs) And, man, honestly, I think Mildred Hayes – um, like you know, taking Frances McDormand's character out of it, I think Mildred Hayes is one of the best written female characters I've seen in a ver- in a long, long time. Yeah, like she is so you know she has her feet planted so deeply in the mud that she's like absolutely not going to move uh for the for the sake of her her dead daughter that she's willing to bring the world around her crashing down like i uh i love characters like that and Frances mcdormand dude just i i can't i can't tell you how perfectly cast she is as mildred hayes like if I read the character like this was written for her by the way right like, yeah yeah and, and same as Sam Rockwell's character Dixon um those two roles were definitely written for those characters uh, for those actors in mind um and you know initially Frances McDormand didn't want to do it but it wasn't until uh fucking Joel Cohen her husband convinced her <laughs> um to do it and like man like it, it, it's just so amazing watching it. it's so amazing um not not only kind of like contemplating like her next moves, but also in in conversation like what her comeback's gonna be to certain things. It's it's just on that level, it's just so fun to watch. But at the same time, it's a it's a deeply affecting drama about uh, you. You say almost forgiveness. I say yes, almost forgiveness. But there are characters in this that totally forgive. I think that we'll get to. Uh, I think I think that mostly uh red red welby is one of those characters it's kind of like you know what I, I can see him being on the path of total forgiveness i guess
0: right him in particular yeah i could see like the supporting characters yeah like him woody Harrelson, like i could kind of see that but man, yeah mildred and and fucking yeah. yeah dixon have a way you know have uh, well Long more so mildred go. she's got a fucking ways to go
1: yeah absolutely and like i i don't think well, we can get into that, but, like, that's that's something that, I mean, that's going to be burned into you. Like, you know, we need to talk about Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, before this movie, was always an actor of mine that's popped up in movies that just, he always elevates the roles that he's in. So, he's been in a bunch of shit before this, dude. Like, seriously, The Green Mile, Galaxy Quest, and Charlie's Angels, he did in the span of a year. Um, Damn. His- amazing in green mile he's amazing in galaxy quest and surprisingly he is amazing in charlie's angels which is not a great movie but he is having the time of his life in that film dude um but yeah man he's popped up in a whole bunch of shit including iron man 2 again not an amazing movie but the best part of it like he plays uh justin hammer do you remember him at all oh yeah he's like come on man give me something you're like the sphinx yeah, yeah, like, see, see, like, he has, like, little kind of... Like, he's got, like, a, a lot of energy about him. So, man, like, when he won the Oscar for this, I was just, like, finally some fucking recognition for this dude. Because he's just... He's been outstanding in everything he's in. And um this is... This might be some of the best acting from Woody Harrelson that I've seen as well. Like, like uh, he's definitely not in it for as much as I'd love him to be. But, man, when when he goes to explain to Mildred, like, what... uh you know why? Why they're lagging in the case, and you know you get her response to him telling her about a ca- about the cancer. His his face, dude. I kind of want to hold his hand. I want to be like, dude, I'm I'm sorry, this is happening to you. <laughs> like, you know? right? Yeah. Like, because yeah. I mean, he hasn't. I mean maybe he's a shitty cop we
0: don't know that they don't ever really go deep into it like our shitty cop feelings are directed towards Dixon like we feel compassion for this guy because in the last months of his life he's been called a fucking piece of shit all over town you know
1: yeah exactly um, but other than that dude this film is so amazingly well shot you were talking about the cinematography being like Tarantino-esque I'd say it's a bit closer to no country if yeah anything. there's
0: definitely yeah there's definitely some elements elements of that like I yeah, even think, Coens. yeah, I even think there's some some Edgar Wright shit in there when we follow Dixon, you know, like uh, in that yeah. scene, dude. Yeah. That felt like going to the shop to get a fucking cornetto, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, dude. But like, yeah, the, I think I think more than anything, like, I'm I'm getting a lot of Cohen brothers vibes in here, like like that really weirdly paced, sorry, weirdly placed humor, um, in in like a, a dark sort of drama. Like, it felt like Fargo to me like that. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, this director, the cinematographer is uh, Ben Davis. Um, he works with Marvel a lot. He's done, you know, Age of Ultron and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so, he's a, he's he usually doesn't do films like this, like that is kind of like on a smaller scale. But um, he fucking, you know, knocked it out of the park for this dude. But, yeah, man, I this is a movie that I it's it's tough it it's always been tough for me to kind of like formulate my thoughts about this movie because there's just so much here and like on paper it seems like it should be a simple film it's about a movie uh, sorry it's about a, a a mother whose daughter got murdered and raped and she fucking takes out some advertising to you know light a fire under the cops ass so they can get they can solve the case on paper that sounds simple as shit but this movie puts so much in there, dude. Like, there's just so much to talk about that I'm... Honestly, I chose it because I was like, I know Colin's going to have some really good thoughts about this. So, you're, you're going to be... Even though I'm going to be leading this episode, you're going to be driving this. Like, you're you're going to be presenting your thoughts and I'm going to be like, yep, 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 I agree. Because, man, it's always been tough for me to formulate my thoughts about this film. But I, I can't wait to talk about this, man, because... I I to be honest, I didn't know if you'd like it or not. Like I'd be like, I was like, that there, there's it's it's a weird film. It is a weird weird film. Like it's not like Prisoners where it just you know plays everything straight. It's and it's ambiguous at the end as well, um, openly ambiguous. Man, like that ending is is. Um, I, I I spoke to a few people about it, and you know, they weren't really that high on the ending. But I I personally love the ending. Um, we can talk about that more when we get there. Um, there are a couple of moments in this movie that I'm just like, we don't really need that. Like you know, that's that's a bit too on the nose. Um, I think that kind of comes down to McDonough's sort of like penchant for let, let's let's make these themes be super obvious, but yeah. Uh but anyway, man, those are my <laughs> those are my scattered thoughts. You can tell I'm still trying to get back into fucking podcasting after the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here. Uh, but yeah man. Um what do you say we get right into this bitch? Let's do it, man. Fuck yeah. All right man. So we open on this uh I guess really weird sort of like fog shot and like this this opera operatic music. Uh we met our protagonist, Mildred Hayes, as she sees these billboards that are totally run down and, you know, and she I love the way she like stops the car, backs up, she puts her finger up to her mouth. She's like she's thinking about it. And it's like it's not like, you know, we have no idea at this point what the fuck she's thinking about, right? Like I love the way this movie holds back on the information until it's revealed. It's it's great. But her eyes look sad. Like you we we know that like she's not She's not thinking about renting out these ad- advertisements to, for for something positive, right? Right. Yeah. There's something. It's also. I think this is, except for the flashback,
0: the last time you ever see her hair down. Mm. And I think. I think that's awesome because, like, when you see, to me, when I see a lot of women like stop and put their hair up, they're like, I have to do something right now. Like, I'm either I'm gonna be getting my hands dirty or. You know, I'm I'm working out or I'm doing something where I don't want my hair down in my face because guess what I'm getting to motherfucking business. That's right. why I have my hair like and that then, that's, determination,
1: that's, yeah,
0: right. And that's just me. That's that's like that. That's just you know my take on it. I, hey, guess what? Don't have hair and I'm not a woman. So what do I know? <laughs> um, but no, I, I I dig it because right there the, with these three three billboards because this is kind of um. It is kind of common in the South to see those every once in a while. These just deserted billboards, you know, out on the highway. Uh, You know, if you're on a main road, that's different. But you'll start driving by some that are just like, you know, hey, come shop at this Piggly Wiggly that closed down in 1994. You're like, what the fuck? Um, And I think there's something almost kind of like sad and horrifying about those at the same time. That this was something that, like, people invested money in and they had their hopes and dreams on. Oh, yeah, I got that billboard and it's going to bring us money. And, you know, there, there is something terrifying about the interstate system that we talked about, like, on Joyride. Shit like that. Like, big billboards down the middle of nowhere. Something about that scares the hell out of me. I don't know what it is either. Like, it's something about that. Back country roads with, like, billboards and shit. I don't know what it is, but it can be sad and, like, scary at the same time. I know that's so random, but it's I'm kind of
1: watch- like that isolation sort of feel, right? Right. Yeah, this is going to seem so
0: random, but have you ever seen Near Dark, the vampire movie? Uh, With Bill Paxton?
1: I haven't. I've always wanted to, though.
0: Okay, well, uh, good luck fucking finding it, because it's not streaming anywhere. I found found it illegally streaming on a website the other night, and I watched it, Um, but it's these vampires who just go, you know, they just hop on cars, and they kill people, take their cars, torch them, and just hit the interstate, and just keep driving, and they're like, they're just like nomadic. And there's something about that in the interstate system and these back country kind of roads that just like scare the shit out of me with stuff like that. I know it's random, I just had to get that out.
1: <laughs> I just gotta get this van I gotta get some vampires in here into this into this podcast and crime. It has Lance Henrickson in it, one of the oh, best actors yeah. of all time. <laughs> oh fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. He's awesome, dude. Um, but I love like again chewing on a finger as she considers like you can tell her that you can tell like that she's thinking okay do I go to war like am I ready to go to war yes and uh, she walks into Ebbing Advertising Ad- Ad- Agency where she's received by Red Welby played by Caleb Landry Jones who we last saw in Get Out right yeah I looked up yeah. and I was like huh that's weird
0: I I actually I can't remember where I read this I read that him and I think. Who's the
1: redheaded fuck from We're the Millers? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Keep keep talking, I'll I'll, I'll get it for you. Because right. um, it was yeah, between he's, he's killing it right now,
0: right? Well, it was between those two guys and Bill Skarsgård for Pennywise at one point. Um, because originally it wasn't Andy Muschietti; it was uh, Kiri Fukan. Uh, is it? Oh God, I think it's Kerry Fukunaga. Yeah, Fukunaga. Yeah, yeah. He did, you know, True Detective and.
1: Will Poulter is the guy's name.
0: Okay, yeah. Between those two ginger fucks and (laughs) Skarsgård, Skarsgård ended up beating him out after Muschietti take over, but those two guys were contenders for Pennywise, and man, I can fucking see it between all three of them. I really can. Uh, I think this guy, I mean, he's great in Get Out. He's just, you know, he's got that kind of way that he talks, and like, I can't even do a great impression of it, but he has a very unique speech pattern that's fantastic. I love him.
1: He was also in um, X Men First Class. Do you remember that? Yes. He's like the Screech or whatever, Screamer yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Great character. I love his power and shit. He's just kind of like, you know, I don't know. He's kind of like a small role in that.
1: I, I like the power, but it looks a little goofy in that movie. Like, I was just, yeah. Like, yeah. He's just like, his arm stretched out. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um. But yeah, she asked about the billboards out in Drinkwater Road, which, according to her, nobody uses that road anymore since the freeway got put in. Red checks his records and says that nobody's rented the billboard since 1986. She asked now, to rent this them is, out- This yeah, is okay. modern, right? This is 2017. Well, yes, I'm, I'm guessing it is, but the whole feel of this movie seems like it takes place in like the, the, the late 70s or the early, oh sorry, the late 60s, like the, right, like, the, the aesthetic the, of it. Right, like the cars aren't super, super modern. We see cell phones,
0: you know, like I think, uh, what, Mildred? Is that her fucking name? Yeah, Mildred. And Mildred. there's definitely like a DNA database, so. Right, and like she's got like a flip phone, so I'm like, okay, this might be like 2008. That's all I could think. I was like, this might yeah. be like mid to late 2000s. It doesn't feel like 2019, you know? And I think that's great. I think that's one thing that it's like movies like like It Follows. Yes, this is modern day, but we, we leave out technology to make you feel timeless. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, she asked to rent them for the year, wants to know how much. Then she asked the question that makes our, us curious as the audience. What's the law on what you can and cannot say on a billboard? <laughs> yeah you that's s- ominous <laughs> yeah i know you can't say fuck piss or cunt is that right <laughs> <laughs> like immediately we set up like how like what the vibe of this movie is gonna be right like it's it's gonna be hard hitting but at the same time it's gonna be like uh, all right so there's there's gonna be some humor in here. Uh, she hands over five thousand for the first month, gives Welby a piece of paper with what the billboard should say, and asks him to draw up a contract. I guess it can't be that like it it can't be set in like the seventies or something because five thousand for a billboard in the seventies is. That's that's crazy money. Well,
0: yeah, especially for the three of them. I'm like, I wouldn't pay 5 grand for this ratty ass billboard. Fuck all that. <laughs> I actually well, I, and I do I do love not to jump too far ahead her flipping the beetle over.
1: That's great. Oh yeah. No, we're, we're already here. Let's yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I What what do you reckon the significance of that is? Like do you reckon it's like she's uh caring, right? Like she's, you know, she's compassionate.
0: I think it's the difference between I could crush this thing and put it out of its misery and I could yeah. crush I could crush my my vengeance for this, my, my justice that I want and just be out of my misery of it, or I can flip this and make it right. I could make it right side up. I could correct the thing that is wrong. And I think that's in a weird way. It made me think of Batman versus Superman when he's like, listen, the only way the world makes sense is if you force it to. And I was like, damn, that's a brutal fucking line. And it's a little it's a little underrated. I think that that line is fantastic. And I think that sums up Batman perfectly. And I think that in a weird way, there's a little Batman in her. Like she is just out for justice at all costs. Like she does not fucking care about the fact that this guy's dying. She knows she's dead. She knows she's dying. She don't give a fuck. You know, she doesn't care if people threaten her. She doesn't care if people light this shit on fire. It is like, you know, you can break objects and you can destroy things. But like the ideal of what I'm going after cannot be destroyed. And I think I think that's what I think. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of I will have justice. And it's like, that's what's fucking cool about it. That I dig like as a man, as a person, you know, I can be destroyed. But as a symbol, you're unstoppable. And that's what I, I love. I absolutely love That message in a lot of these movies. And that's what I kind of and it's not the full message of the movie. but That's what I kind of took away from it is like it's not so much what the billboards are saying. It's it's kind of, I guess, like what they're representing as in like, why hasn't anybody done anything? It's not that like I'm trying to be an asshole and I'm trying to get Chief Willoughby fired. I'm trying to cause raise awareness to the fact that nothing is being done about this. And if nothing's being done, I will do something about this.
1: Yeah, I like that didn't really occur to me about the Beatle. <laughs> Maybe I'll <I'm> just <laughs> now, now. I just feel fucking stupid. Well, actually, you know, you know what though? Like, and here's something about. I mean, the movie that you you brought up that I didn't bring up in my opening thoughts that I totally should have. Um, the this this whole movie is kind of like a a cautionary tale about vigilantism (laughs) like yes you know what i mean like you know of course in you know batman begins and shit like we see batman like you know uh you know kind of creating this moniker of batman to be a symbol to strike fear in the hearts of his enemies and shit but this is obviously a more realistic take on what happens if you take the law into your own hands right like this is kind of like okay you have this single-minded approach that you're going to that you're going to take you're going to just hire out these billboards and get the cops to investigate the rape and death of your daughter, but you're not considering the ramifications of doing that like that's that I think that's that's what the movie's trying to kind of like get across like it's just like you can't always take justice into your own hands, and it's never it's almost never good to do so you know it's always almost never beneficial to do so. Well, what is he saying? You either you know die a
0: hero, or you live long enough to see yourself. Right. Like, take you take this thing too far, the cup runneth over. And that that's yeah. what I love is like you don't know when to stop, and it's cool. I I dig that about it. It's like at what point are you crossing the line? And she does. Yeah. She crosses the fucking line, and it's like cool. Like I mean, that's yeah, that sums it up, man.
1: Well, that's another thing about a love. a love about a character like, and it's. The entire movie in general, there's no, like, none of these characters are kind of black and white. Like, you know what I mean? She's, you know, she's obviously the protagonist, but she's also a bitch. Like, you know, she's also, she's got her feet so far down in the mud that she's like un- refusing to move. She's an immovable object. Like, if you, if she met an in- unstoppable force, she'd still be fucking immovable. Mm-hmm. Same, same goes for Dixon, you know? Like, I mean, obviously his arc, his arc is something that I'll come to eventually, but. Again, not black and white. But yeah, let's move on. So yeah, again, helps the beetle. Uh, she hands him the piece of paper. I love that Like we don't see anything on the paper. She's just like, Welby just guesses that Mildred is Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. She responds with such steel, the dude. Like she is so unflinching. She's fucking, she scares the shit out of me. Pucket I Princess feel like McGovern. I could
0: I could punch her as hard as I could and she would come like you know you see those people get punched in movies and they don't f- they don't flinch from it they just come right back up. I feel like yeah. she'd come <laughs> right back up. I'm like, "Oh fuck." Like totally. she lo- she looks she looks like she'd fucking headbutt a sailor, you know what I mean? Like she'd <laughs> fuck
1: that dude up. Dude, even like the way she's got like her like the the sleeves rolled up past her elbows and shit, like it's just like, damn, she's 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 here to get shit done. And I love, I love that about this character that's like super proactive. Uh, it, it's awesome. Right. Um, the
0: jumpsuit, the, the, the yeah. bandana all the time. It's like, yeah, what like, are you? Are you a mama?
1: Me- yeah. Are you a mechanic? <laughs> like, well, like, what are you doing, man? You got to fix my car. <laughs> and then we get to Dixon played by Sam Rockwell, as he drives his cruiser down the Drinkwater Road and spots the billboards. He stops to ask the billboards, uh, I, I guess I just put the billboard putter-uppers. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you call them. What the fuck is going on? We immediately, we immediately immediately established that Dixon's a bit of a racist when he calls the dude a beaner. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, this, this was
0: so like, I, I, the, here's the fucked up part of where I live, is I was just so, it, it was not even surprising to me. I was like, yep. <laughs> I was like that's that's where I live, yep, uh, not
1: in Missouri, but I mean, yeah, fucking, yep, again, I love Rockwell. I would have appreciated a little more subtlety with Dixon, yeah, what do you i, I that's a that's a good call i think I
0: think that he kind of once he has his uh and, and i don't know whatever you call it his arcing moment. Uh, the thing that sets him on a totally different path. He he just kind of does this total, almost a total one eighty, and it's a. It, I
1: don't, I don't, I don't want to say I don't believe in it, but it's hard. It, to... I think it's too sudden. I think it's. I think I, I feel like it's too sudden. I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and every time it happens, I f- I feel like. I feel like especially here when you're setting him up maybe it would have helped if you take away the torture of black a black person in custody maybe it would have helped if you tone him down a little bit because this is like this He right now he's kind of like a a little bit of at Adolf Hitler level like you know what I mean like he, that's that's tough to come back from right i think if they would established something like Maybe he was the
0: um, the town's quarterback ten years ago, and he blew his knee out, and he became just an overweight piece of shit cop who drank beer all the time and was prone to being somewhat like racist. You know, like that, that's that's one thing I, I think. If you, I don't know, I don't want to say, man, he shouldn't be racist. You know, blah blah blah. And I don't I don't mean it for for that way. I think that it should. I don't know. It doesn't really. I don't know. There's there's if you really want to vilify someone in a movie these days. You make them racist, or you make them say something like that. And hey, guess what? Probably factually accurate with some people on the police force if this town existed. I hate to say it, but I mean, I I have been in the car with black people and gotten pulled over because it was a black person driving. It's ridiculous, and that's the way it is in the south. Sometimes it's a it's fucking true. And the thing is, though, I think it does. It's the crew cut kind of, you know, the the military kind of haircut. It's the the beer belly. It's the you know. Even the way they dropped the fact, you know, um, he tortured a guy in custody Billy. There was no evidence to prove that, Blah blah. it's like, that's kind of exposition-y. Well, I was like, man, this is just, I don't know. You know, and he's so brazen about, um, what is it, is it Ebby or it's Webby? Webby is the guy Wellby. who owns the- Welby, Wellby, Welby. Wellby. Even when he confronts Welby about it, <laughs> it's Ebby. like, dude, there are people <laughs> every- Yeah, Webby. Uh, what is Webby, 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 what is that from? That's going to drive me crazy. Um, but yeah, even the way he confronts, I mean, there's broad, it's in broad daylight and he like charges across the street. It's like, dude, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, it's not, it's not a huge takeaway for me, but he could have been toned down just like a notch because when you tone that down a little bit more, I think it makes that a smoother
1: transition into his redemption, I guess. Totally. Totally. Like it, it feels like it starts too high and and too aggressive but honestly it's fucking fun to watch like it, it's fun to watch them explode so um and i also get you know you also get the vibe that you don't know it's not really a vibe like it's kind of explicitly sort of told uh dixon he's a few tools shy of a full toolkit right like he's not mentally all up there from what i gather so i i don't know maybe he's kind of I guess, prone to having these extreme reactions or do you reckon there's like a a, a sort of like a thing here where it's just like he's not really able to tell between right and wrong and that's kind of like part of the arc? I I don't know. I think, I don't, I, I would have loved to have seen a scene with
0: him where he's like, hey, I became a cop, you know, because I wanted to be one of the good guys. And when I grew up, I realized that being a good guy wasn't always just white or black, that there were gray areas. And it was, it was easier for me to still pretend that there were white and black areas and not gray areas and, you know, and I don't know, cause he's like a step away from being like doofy, the fucking you know, like like David Arquette from scary movie, Definitely doofy, yeah. right? Yeah, like he's he's reading comic books and just yeah. you know he's Living got toys his on his desk. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, dude, this guy is like a step away from riding on the back of the short bus, you know? And it's it's like I don't, it, it's just a little, it's just a little heavy handed because, um, you know, he does some great work towards the end. He does some real detective shit that I was like, dude, that's a smart motherfucker. And maybe it did take just getting your ass kicked and shit to, to to be humbled like that, or maybe to have somebody show you forgiveness for you to be the one to do the forgiving. But maybe maybe we just needed a scene of him coming to terms with that and him maybe talking to his mom and saying, hey, you know, I can't you know, I can't be this person anymore because, you know, I, I just I can't survive doing that anymore. You know, I, I would have been, I would have been fine with that, you know.
1: Well, I think like I think the true turn comes after he reads uh, Willoughby's last words, right? Like we we can get to that, but uh, I think that's where it's like that's where he does the one eighty because he grabs Angela Hayes' file in the fire, and that's when it starts happening. But yeah, I don't know. It's it, actually it, you know what I, you know what I think it is. I think it's the fact that we have two of his arcing
0: moments back to back. We have him reading the letter and then him in the hospital, and it's like yeah, a person. Telling them they have faith in the person he can be, and then a person showing them yep. what you can do to become that person. It's, I guess, maybe we if we just had those spread out a little farther apart, we our memory kind of it's a good point. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. we yeah. don't value them as much because they're
1: right back to back. It's a good point. Yeah, for sure. Um But the dude points at the other billboards and Dixon hurts further down the road. I love how he discovers this backward, and we discover it backward, like. Yeah. It's not like, you know, immediately, you know, rape while dying and still no r- r- arrest. Like, you know, how come Chief Willoughby? Like, we find out, like, the other way. It's awesome. Uh, but this guy recognizes Dixon and spits before Dixon, threatens to write him up for destroying the environment. <laughs> Now, this isn't
0: the dude that he beat the shit out of. I assume this guy is just like, I, I recognize so. you. Yeah, from, I th- yeah, I think okay. he
1: knows him from um, his, I guess, reputation.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. the only black guy I ever saw in fucking town. So, it's like, oh, okay, except for, yeah. like, the police the police chief that takes yeah. over. I'm like, hey, he must have been this guy because I'm not seeing anybody else.
1: Just by using the the d- 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 method of deduction. Like, like, right, must yeah. be this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Dixon finally heads down to the first billboard. Fuck me. <laughs> and uh, he calls Chief Willoughby, played by Woody and, uh at dinner, who says they've got a problem. And again, right while di- dying and still no arrest. How come, Chief Willoughby? Uh, what do you think of that reveal of what the, the billboard said? Well,
0: I assumed it wasn't going to be something for the Ringling Brothers Circus, so I knew it was going to be something, uh, something kind of traumatic. Um, nice. I know that there are a couple of true stories. This is based off of. I don't think it's anything quite this dramatic, uh, but there were a few places. There was one in Missouri. This woman went missing, and they bought a billboard and just put her, you know, kind of like her, uh, uh, her whole missing, you know, person status on there. Uh, and people do stuff like that all the time. Um, but I, well, I did read. You- uh, no, go ahead. Oh,
1: I think you're about to read it, actually. No, no, no. I'm pulling something completely out of my ass I You go ahead. So this, yeah, this, this situation is based off something that the director, Martin McDonough, came across. Um... He was traveling around the South in 1998, came across a couple of accusatory billboards about an unsolved crime, which he described as, quote, raging and painful and tragic, alleging the murder of a woman in Vidor, Texas. The billboards highlighted the incompetence of police work and deeply deeply affected McDonough. He said that, the image, quote, stayed in my mind, kept gnawing at me, and presumed that they were uh, put up by the victim's mother. He says it took him about 10 years to, quote, decide that it was a mother who had taken these things out. It all became fiction based on a couple of actual billboards. So, yeah.
0: Damn. See, I was reading something uh, about a a dad whose son is uh, a little boy, and he was kidnapped by this guy, and he was raped. And the they caught the guy, and they were taken through the airport into custody. The dad is waiting on a payphone with a loaded gun, pops out and shoots him in the fucking head. And uh, the guy served basically no jail time for it. Um, he They got him on some kind of, I don't know. It, I mean, you're a lawyer, I'm sure. You probably want to read about it. It's pretty interesting. But basically, he got like however many hours of community service. And this, I mean, this was a guy who like... You know, fucking paid his taxes, worked his ass off, and he mowed his church's lawn for free on the weekends. Um, So all he did was he kept mowing his church's lawn, and it went towards his community service. So, like, his life didn't yeah. change at all, and he murdered the guy that raped his son. And I was like, that's fucking badass, dude. Like... I'm all for it. I hate it. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm just like just going to throw that out there. It's like I know some people are man you you know rehabilitation and this and that and that's that's fine and dandy and maybe in some cases I understand but there are there's just there's the lowest of the low and that's where I, personally for me I start drawing the line at some point. Like I like it's shit like that that I find really interesting because it does create the conversations that we are having for stuff like this and prisoners when it becomes the robbing of like innocence of young Children of young have young individuals is that I think that's one of the worst things in the world that you can do, and and what what kind of response is um, appropriate? And that, that that's what I think is so interesting about movies like these is is how at what point does her response become inappropriate? Um, and I, I, I there's a part coming up kind of right off the bat where we start realizing, all right, yeah, she's a bitch,
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, by the way, I'm not going to further dig into that case because. Between this and um, just listening to the latest case file episode on Hinterkaifeck, I'm done with druga crime this week. (laughs) I'm done with (laughs) fucking crime this week, dude. It's fucked. I'm gonna cut out my eyes. I'm gonna. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to drink my sorrows.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for real, dude. Sometimes you start reading about like Dahmer or something. You're like, I gotta go watch Family Guy, dude. Get me the fuck out of this room for a
2: while.
1: I gotta get me some office, man. Seriously. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyway, so Mildred drives her son Robbie, played by Lucas Hedges, to his school, uh, and he sees the billboards. Obviously, he's harboring some fucking disdain for her. Um, I feel I feel really bad for um, Robbie in this film. Actually, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, she. Fo- it's almost like, did you forget that I'm also here? that I am your yeah. kid, that, like, this is affecting me as well. It's like, yeah, man, like, you really feel sh- shitty for him. Like, at first, dude, in, in the first parts of this movie, you are gun ho and you are fucking with her. But then as the time goes on, you see how it's affecting Willoughby, how it's affecting right. the people in, in the town. And you're like, well, fuck them. And then you see what it's doing at home. And you're like, man, this is fucked, man. Like, at, w- at what point do you... I hate yeah. Right. At At what point, I hate to say this, but at what point do you kind of cut your losses and say, hey, I have to move on? Like, I can't let this. It is a huge part of my life. It is not the entirety of my life. You know, that's the thing. That's where you become obsessed about it.
1: Right. She's letting it. She's letting it. Like, absolutely consume her. Like, uh, granted, you know, it has been seven months. Like, it's this, it's not like it's seven years later. Like, I think seven months later, it, it's still, it's still pretty fresh, relatively fresh, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a conversation. <laughs> that right there is a conversation. Um, yeah, fucking get over it, all right? It's been seven <laughs> months. Get over it It's now. only your child that you yeah. be- bared in your fucking womb for nine months. No worries. <laughs> yeah, it's nine months longer than, yeah.
0: Children have been conceived and born in more time than, <laughs> than this yeah. grieve, gr- grievance period.
1: Yeah. Um, there's an overhead shot of Ebbing that reminded me of Derry. Yeah. Catch that? Yeah. Looks cool. Uh, As Mildred drives through the town, she notices Willoughby uh, heading into ebbing advertising. I love this kind of like, it's really quick, but you get the sense that he's telling Dixon to stay behind. It's pretty cool. And Welby's copying some verbal abuse from Cedric, the second in charge. Welby defends himself, saying it's all legal. A a book called Suck My Ass, It's None of Your Business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, this guy, I think he's the Sarge, the little bald-headed guy. Um, Cedric, yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. He He was, he's, yeah, he was in, he played Roland in an episode of early episode of The X Files that I really love. And he actually did in the episode called Roland. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Cool. I couldn't remember what the episode name was called, but I absolutely loved him in that. And I started reading a little bit about him and he popped up. I was watching Frazier the other day and I was like, man, that's what's awesome. I love seeing these people who like just have steady careers. Like, um, you know, the the older woman in Insidious, you know, the one who, spoiler alert, you know, kind of gets killed Lynch at Stein. the end of the first one.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, She pops up, dude. She's in The First Nightmare on Elm Street. She's in Dumb and Dumber. She was on Frasier. She was on Seinfeld. She was on Friends. She was on Will and Grace. Like, dude, this lady acted for, like, 20 years before she ever popped up in, like, a feature film as a main character. I was like, that, I love seeing that. The people who are just like, hey, I'm just... You know, I play supporting roles, and I am I am a actor's actor, and I'm like that's fucking cool. I always dig that. So like seeing this guy pack, it it honestly kind of made me like knock knock this movie up a couple of points. It's like oh that guy, fuck yeah, and he totally. he does great, man. He he plays like a mentally handicapped guy in X Files amazingly, and in this, it's like he switches flawlessly to this kind of asshole southern cop you know i was like that's that's great His yeah it just uh, such a wide range you know uh, uh in this actor that i don't even fucking know the name of
1: <laughs> zelko Ivanovic. Zelko yeah i knew Ivanik. it was something weird yeah he's from Sof- slovenia yeah um he was also in argo from uh you know by ben affleck and he was in martin McDonough's previous movie seven psychopaths so there you go oh, okay. Uh, Okay, so Willoughby kicks his his feet up and wants to know how long the billboards are up for and how long they've been paid for. Both answers are a year. Willoughby deduces that it's Mildred Hayes. Uh, Back at the station, Dixon and Cedric go at it. We get a sense that Dixon's a bit of a hothead. (laughs) Cedric asks why Willoughby keeps Dixon employed, reminds him that he tortured a guy in custody, but Willoughby stands up for him, saying that there's no real evidence to support that. Bullshit. (laughs) it's buried under fucking (laughs) it's like right at the bottom of the fucking filing cabinet (laughs) is that a thing like i I know that's a thing like have you do you know of any particular cases like this around where you live of wait Uh, of what uh, of uh tortured in custody people of color um
0: no i i think not personally like my hometown or anything not that i really know of I mean, I'm sure if I did some digging, yeah, but not not of where It was just like such blatant police brutality. I, I think they've I think they've had to cut down because, like, where I grew up is you know it's 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 a, it's a little it's a little bit more rural. It's starting to become a lot more developed now, and it's it's a lot more it's more progressive than it was. Uh, but Nashville, dude, you wouldn't be fucking caught dead doing this shit. Like, there I mean, there is there is some shit like that that happens, but there is a large population of, I mean, we have African-Americans, we have a lot of people from the Philippines, we have a lot, of, I I can't tell you how many Muslim women I see walking around, like at, at Walmart where I live, and I'm like, I mean, that's cool, I don't have a problem with it, it's just, it's not something you see every day, and then it became something I saw every day, and I'm like, that's cool, like that that's did, cool. but now... Yeah. It has hit a point now where I mean body cams and stuff. You'd have to be a fucking idiot to try and More, do that I'm, shit. And yeah, yeah, ab- absolute idiot.
1: For us, it's um, and I think I think it's less so now. But Aboriginal deaths in custody. So yeah, it, that's that's always been a massive thing. I remember uh, my first. <laughs> it was my first day. Of my first law unit studying law and it was uh, the unit criminal law and like we were learning about Aboriginal deaths in custody and I can't remember what the name of the case was but essentially it was these two, it was landmark case where these two cops are hauling this uh, Aboriginal guy in the back of their sort of paddy wagon, in the back of their cop car and he, it's, it's hot, like they're in the middle of the country, they're driving to Perth or some shit, like they're in the middle of the country. Um, there's no air conditioning, um, you know, steel roof. They don't give him any water and he died in the back of the van. <laughs> like that just started a whole fucking chain reaction that introduced a whole bunch of legislation. Um, but yeah, essentially, I-, I-, I believe like that is that happens less so now or I want to believe that happens less so now, but that was always a big issue here. Uh, aboriginal deaths in custody uh but anyway <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> i wanna cut out my eyes i, I <laughs> am done with true crime <laughs> uh dixon orders Welby to take the billboards down man handles him and says you think i wouldn't take you out right here on main street damn yeah fuck man and his response i thought you only took out black dudes dixon <laughs> oh shit <laughs> god damn dude <laughs> Uh, Mildred goes live on the news, talks about her daughter Angela and uh the local police department are too busy torturing black folk than focusing on the investigation. Uh, we had a look in at Willoughby watching Mildred as uh, she says, with 100% confidence that the buck stops with Willoughby. This is on him because he's the head of them. I love this element of the film. Like this kind of like, we uh, I'm attributing this to Willoughby, even though he's not... He might not have been the lead detective while this was going down like this you know he's he's the boss, so he's in charge of this i love I love that because it's so like um it's kind of like this mentality that we have right now in culture where for example it, it's 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 kind of like a mob mentality, if anything,
0: right? Well, yeah, basically, I mean, um she's she's just saying like you know, this is i mean it, it has to stop. And it has it has to stop somewhere. You know, the The responsibility has to be taken. And maybe he's not directly responsible for this, but um, it's kind of like the only th- thing worse than evil men are is the indifference of good men. And he's not indifferent. She's really painting him to be I mean, she she's kind of offering him up as like a sacrificial lamb. She's like, listen, I know you didn't do anything wrong. and And I know that you probably do hit a She's asking for unrealistic things at some point. She is. She's asking for things that break civil liberties and things that are ultimately against the law. But she's kind of putting him up as like a sacrificial lamb in a way of like, listen, I, I'm having to make an example out of you because nothing's getting done. And I mean, it seven months in something like this is, is a long time and is not a long time. I mean, you listen to a lot of true crime. So do I. Sometimes it's Golden State, where 20, 35 years later, you're catching a guy off a napkin. You know, and sometimes it is just something like that. It is just a conversation that somebody overhears. It is just somebody being at the right place at the right time. But unfortunately, most of these crimes start with somebody being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's very hard. It's so easy to destroy something. It's very hard to create and build something up like that and have a structure. Uh, and that's that's what's so interesting about it is the fact that she she craves that kind of she wants justice. She wants the structure. She wants this thing that makes sense. But at the same time, she is destroying everything around her to get to it. She's selling stuff and alienating family. Um, and I just I, I think especially this poor guy who, you know, Woody Harrelson is a nice guy. You know, his character is nice. He's a decent cop. And maybe he makes some bullshit, you know, make some bullshit um, excuses for for his. I mean, what is Dixon, a deputy?
1: Yeah, I'd say he's, he's, he's a deputy, bit bit more on the junior side, it seems. Right, yeah, and I, I think that he makes some bullshit excuses for him, but... Oh, oh sorry, the, yeah, because the mom says you work for them for three years. So, okay, then yeah. yeah.
0: But no, I, I, I think that she's just kind of offering him up as a sacrificial lamb because yeah. as soon as something goes wrong with him, she's like, oh, babe, like, she is so... I don't know, It it's almost... I feel like they were friends before this, not just like, oh, I know who she is. Like, no... You know, we might have hung out a couple of times, or even gone and had a beer or something like yeah. that. Like I, I could believe that.
1: Yeah, especially like you know her reaction to when he coughs up the blood. It's yes, yeah. yes. Um, but obviously, watching the interview, this weighs heavily on Willoughby. He goes out, tends to the horses in the stable just outside the house. You know, he tells his wife. You know, it looks like we got a war in our hands, <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. By the way, Abby Cornish. Um, Beautiful actress, Australian, but I don't think that she's that great in this. (laughs) I don't. I'm just gonna. I mean, if there's a weak link, it's her.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick something, I guess, but I it didn't really because her screen time is so minimal. You know, she is just kind of like, oh, here's my wife. It was just the the age difference was one thing. I was like, what? Like that's (laughs) kind of weird. Um, yeah, but. But I mean, apparently Woody Harrelson's got a beautiful cock, so who knows? Um, <laughs> but but no, that that I mean, and just seeing him answer the phone at the beginning, like God damn it, you're in under my fucking goddamn Easter Sunday. Sorry, kids. <laughs> like, um, but it, it it did kind of. Um, I mean, I I guess if I had to pick on something, you know, but she's just she's got limited screen time, you know, and it, and it's not something they don't they don't pay a shit ton of attention to her character, so maybe that might be for the better.
1: Yeah. Uh, Willoughby goes to visit Mildred, asks to talk. Notably, she doesn't let him in, right? Did you catch that? Then she decides to, you know, have this conversation. Oh, hell yeah, outside. I do the same thing. For sure. He's reminding her why the police are no longer pursuing the case. The DNA doesn't match anyone in the database and there's no witnesses. She suggests pulling blood from every man in Ebbing over the age of eight, but rights laws prevent that. And what if he was just passing through, says Willoughby. Her resolution pull everyone's blood in the country she says that if it were her she'd set up a database and put every male baby that was born on it as soon as he did something wrong make 100% certain it was him and kill him damn right yeah and that's where you get into
0: like I mean, some Hitler shit. You're profiling people. You're, like, putting totally. their shit on a database. It's like, it, now you're going guilty until proven innocent. You know, that's where right. now she's starting to fuck up. You know, like, now you have unrealistic expectations from what you're talking about. It's like, dude, that's not going to happen, man. Like, and it's not going to—it's definitely not going to bring <laughs> yeah. your daughter back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know what? This This totally reminds me of, like— You know, if you follow uh, news pages on Facebook and, like, they post, like, videos of, like, I guess, accused pedophiles or accused murderers or something, you know, being hauled off to prison or, like, hauled off to court or some shit and then you see the comment section and it's always, like, you know, hang him or castrate him or it's, like, something totally extreme Uh, even though, you know, this person has not been convicted or you don't know what evidence there is or you don't know why they're being questioned it that's what it kind of reminds me of like it's kind of like this you know the, the extreme answer is always the answer kind of mentality
0: right yeah there's I mean with, with certain people hey if I could do it I'll pull the switch I don't give a shit um, but I mean, there like there is due process. There is, this is not the middle ages. We're not going to kick your door in and fucking put you on a pole and run you out of town or hang you. Um, there, there are people who, there are innocent people who are found guilty of crimes every day. And that's the reason why this movie is kind of a good example of that. You know, there's two people in this who are like, you know, yeah, I mean, one of them is semi innocent, innocent of the specific one they're talking about, but not the general, um, you know, the, the guy towards the end. Um, he did something. Yeah, right. He did something. And it's kind of like with prisoners. It's like that guy was fucking innocent, man. Like, like, good God almighty. You know, and it's, it's the price you pay when you go off of a hunch and you don't have the evidence behind it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, she refuses to take the boards down. Willoughby tells her that he's got cancer. She says she knows, and that most of the people in town do. I love Willoughby here, man. Like this, this might be my favorite scene of Harrelson's. I just love how how hurt he is because she still put up the billboards, knowing that fact. Well, they wouldn't be as effective after you croak, she says. Oof. Yeah. You can see the hurt and the the regret in his eyes, the I'm sorry that it got to this point in his eyes, like, because he's genuinely, he's genuinely upset in this situation.
0: Right. Yeah. And I I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out. I'm like, you know, I think that part of it is the fact that he's like, listen, you know, uh, this is, this is, yeah, this has gotten to like a ridiculous point and I I don't really know what to say to you anymore. Uh, But also when she's like, you know, yeah, I, I don't. I think at first he's almost kind of hurt by it because he's like, you know, this is, you know, know, I'm sick, I got cancer. And he's, I feel like he's almost coming at it, you're like, cut me some slack here, I'm dying. And she's like, I know you're dying, I don't give a shit. It's like, I think now that's when he, I think A, he's hurt by it, but B, he's like. Man, I I think there's a bit of anger and he looks at her and he's like, how fuck you, lady? Like, but then at some point, the anger becomes the realization of how how fucking angry she must be. But then I think that turns to pity of him saying, you know, I might be dying you know inside my body but she's dying like inside of her soul from this shit like they're both dying in their own way and that's that i don't know that's that's just i think i think that's so interesting the fact that he looks hurt and then kind of angry and then kind of like i pity you lady like if that's really the route you're going like god have mercy on you man because i can't help you at that point
1: yeah man it's um (laughs) fucking heavy yeah it's fucking heavy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And you know what? And here's something that we didn't really talk about, right? Like, and and we we don't really have that much jurisdiction to talk about it, seeing as we are not mothers. <laughs> but you know what, man? A lot of a lot of mothers, probably all mothers, would kind of sympathise with what Mildred is doing here. Like this oh, yeah. is this is totally it's it's you can see someone doing this in real life and like it has been done in real life according to martin mcdonough so yeah man like that's you gotta think about it that way too right like it's just like fuck carried you in my womb for nine months and you were raped and murdered and now i'm seeking justice but i don't care who i hurt but uh in a bar dixon slings some shit over to welby who says who's playing pool against the town midget james <laughs> dinklage Dixon is hammered all up in Welby's face Welby's brushing it off well I love how Welby's kind of like Deflecting here, it's great And Dixon just keeps laying it on You know, I thought you were a goddamn communist Do you know what they do to faggots down in Cuba? They kill them (laughs) Dixon tells Welby that Willoughby is a good man and that he shouldn't have to think about this in his last month. And this floors Welby, who didn't know about the cancer. Mildred tries up saying that she's next up in pool, and James immediately says hi, and we get a sense that he's into her, complimenting her. Uh, Dinklage is Dink. The little moments that Dinklage, is, Dinklage gets, he's fucking great, man. Just shows us how great of an actor he is. And <laughs> about time you get home to your mama, Dixon. <laughs> Uh, Mildred arrives home. Hey, Robbie, I think that pigeon wants to get in my pants, not realizing the priest is in there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but essentially this priest is trying to coax Mildred into taking down the billboards. I love Mildred's face as the priest is going on about this. Like she keeps her eyes down as the priest is talking until he mentions Willoughby and then like her face just looks up. She's like, no. He says the town is dead set against the billboards that they know he's a stand up guy took a poll did you father
0: right <laughs> uh, um, yeah to, to, it- to be to be criticized by somebody like this it's like nah i don't think so i i'm yeah. assuming she's alluding to some incident that happened in, in their community and it's like yeah go fuck yourself man you 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 tend to your own fuck yeah. dude
1: Yeah, I mean, he gives a shit about not coming to church and that nobody's going to go with her about the billboards and she gets into it about the gangs and the laws to combat the gangs in LA, culpability in gangs, kind of like you church boys, ain't it? And Man, this escalates quick. You're culpable because you joined the gang, man, and uh, tells him to get the fuck out of her kitchen. (laughs) <laughs> this right. is an outstanding scene this fucking McDormand is just fucking powerhouse here dude well then um, we, we start to see
0: she's lumping people you know it's
1: yeah I, yeah. I'm glad it's, you pulled that it's like somebody
0: saying, oh, well, your your last name's Ali. You must be a terrorist. It's like, no, there are people with the last name who are not terrorists. Like, there are white people right. who live in the South that don't fucking have, you know, bedsheets, you know, in their closet. You know, it, there's they're, you're kind of lumping people into this category. You know, they're, like the Hells Angels are a motorcycle gang. Dude, they do fucking nice shit all the time. Now, they've done some horrendous shit, but they do some pretty nice stuff as well. So it's like, well... Like, are we just going to kill all of them because there are some who take shit too far? It's like, no, that's just painting everybody with the same brush. That's fucked up.
1: Right. And I was going to ask this question later, but this is the big question that's kind of lingering over this entire sort of like film. The way this movie closes out and the, the, the logic that she's applying here, is she going to kill that guy in Idaho? Because I don't if know. she's lumping them all in one group, then. Like at this point in the film, she probably is right. Like if she, like from what she's saying, she's like, well, he's culpable. He did this. So
0: right. I I don't know because with Sam Rockwell's character, I think that whereas he's shown forgiveness by somebody else, I think that he is the one to show forgiveness to her and be like, listen, I, we're not talking about forgiveness on a level of what happened to your daughter, but like I think the seeds are somewhat planted there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm like that's still that's still something that I I really haven't decided on. By the way, so if you're if we get to the end of the podcast and uh, I'm gonna be like I don't know, then don't be surprised because I I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Willoughby loses the Doctor after he tells. Um after he tells him he's back on him, he he's got his back on him about the billboards, and Willoughby asks Dixon to give him the file and Angela Hayes, a lady with a funny fucking eye.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, a
1: fat dentist
0: and a lady with a funny fucking eye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they go back out to the billboards. Willoughby asks to ask Dixon to lay off Welby or he'll kick his mama's teeth in. Dixon kneels over, thinking as Dixon says, "Sorry." Willoughby kneels over, thinking as Dixon says, "There's nothing to look for." Uh, Mildred visits the dentist, no numbing, no novocaine, and, um, he's a bit of a dick, just stands there, arms crossed as the numbing agent goes to work, she pierces his fingernail with a drill. What'd you think about this?
0: Oh, dude, I'm, t- I was so fucking down for it, cause, I mean, he's like, it'll take a couple minutes, and then, like, 20 seconds later, he's trying to pull that tooth out, and I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, they had already said something about Fat dentist, anyways, but I mean, it's like, man, that, I don't know, It, it kind of, it ends up being a thing because now we see where she's kind of been a bitch, and she's, you know, treating this guy like shit who's dying of fucking cancer, and I understand what's happened, but you cannot hold him personally responsible, you know, for this thing, like, and then... When we see the town trying to kind of physically harm her to get retribution, we're with her because she is in the she's in the right. They're trying to physically hurt her now. And it's like, all right, nope. Like we we need now that we've kind of shown that she's gone too far. We need to reel it back in and we need to show the fact that um, we need something to get us back on her side, basically. And I think that scene does a great job of doing it. And I fucking love to fuck this fat bastard.
1: Yeah, it was um, fucking graphic too, right? Like, it was well done. uh willoughby and dixon enter the gift shop uh willoughby asks if asked her if she went to the dentist that day i love that like she's trying to hide it she's like no (laughs) but really like her fucking mouth is numb and fat dentist wants to press charges so they're gonna have to bring mildred in mildred's at the police station interview room dixon's guarding the door of course this is the Conversation about the persons of color thing, right? Mildred asks Dixon how it's all gonna, how it's going in the end. We're a torturing business. Dixon corrects it. It's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's kind of like, is Dixon kind of like, I don't know if he's smart enough to. To be justifying his actions if he did torture this guy, like, right? Yeah, if it's kind of like if it's kind of like you know, it's it's not that bad because it's persons of color torturing in uh, business,
0: right? Yeah, it's almost like is he making a joke or is he like, yeah, I did it, and I'm going to be funny about it, you know? It's kind of, right. it's like which way is this going? But as soon as he says something, oh, it's the persons of color torturing business, he's like, and I didn't torture anybody. So I, I think, I think that it's I don't know, much like the ending, I think it's left a little ambiguous, so you can kind of. I'm pretty sure he did, but, I mean, you never know. More than likely he did, you know.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, Willoughby protects Dixon again. He says, don't give me that look. If you got rid of every cop with the vaguely racist leanings, then you'd have three cops left and all of them are going to hate fags. So what are you going to do, you know? (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they are in fucking Missouri. What are you gonna do? Uh, Mildred denies that she drilled the hole, but Willoughby doesn't care about the dentist. Nobody cares about dentists. <laughs> what, you think what, I, what care, cares, about you I think, care about I dentists? I don't care about dentists. <laughs> I love the way he enunciates it. What he cares about or he is interested in is trying to help her in court, tying up her in sorry, tying her up in court so long that her hours at the gift shop are so shot to shit that she ain't got penny to pay for another month's billboards. Willoughby is interested in that right well that's kind of willoughby's plan it seems a little hush I guess but I don't know do you reckon he's just kind of like squaring up or it's that's a legitimate thing he's thinking about thing he's thinking about um well he is a
0: cop I think that a lot of cops are good tactitioners. uh I think that uh, you know don't ever underestimate your opponent and you know try to figure out what their next move is going to be and I think that if you have if you have a pipe and the pipe is busting water out of it, you don't try and find something to a cork to shove in the pipe. You find the switch to turn the water off completely. You want to kill it at its source. So if he's like, if I can kill, you know, if I can, if it's if good you good ta- Right. All right. Thank you. If he, if you want to kill a plant, you don't just sit there and rip the plant out by the roots. You can shut off the, you know, block it out of the sun. Uh It's effectively the same thing. And you you know, that that thing won't be able to grow back. And that's that's basically what I think he's doing is he's like, I want to, I will put you, I will put you in a spot where you can't afford this anymore. Because I think it's also from Willoughby's standpoint, uh, which, you know, we don't, we don't know his 100% true feelings on it yet. Um, but I, I think, um, I think that he's kind of hit a point where. I, I don't know, maybe still initially he hasn't, you know, because when he leaves that note, he's like, I thought they were a great idea, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think at first he's like, this is what my wife and kids are seeing in the last months that I'm alive. Right. Uh, that's why control. I said when he, yeah, right. Or when he has that conversation with her, you can see the anger and he's like, this is what my family gets to put up with right before I die. And I, but you know. I think after a while he kind of can start to see things from his perspective as like, whereas she lost the kid and or the daughter and he's you know she's she's dealing with that he's the one being lost and he's having to watch his family deal with that and it's like damn that is so interesting to see someone who lost somebody have to play and 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 see the emotions and 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 see the other side of things from someone who is going to be the one lost and it's like damn that is so fucking interesting to me man the contrast between that of like Literally, the puzzle pieces of different puzzles connecting together. I was like, that's fucking nuts. Different circumstances. It's a different picture, but it's a similar puzzle piece.
1: Right. Like, through her actions, she's created another victim. Yeah. She tells Willoughby about her ex-husband's tractor trailer to pay for that month's billboards. You know, I got got a little... What'd she say? She's like, uh, I got some dough put away. Found out about her ex-husband Charlie, still with a pretty little intern who works down at the zoo. He doesn't know about the billboards. He's an ex-cop and an ex-wife beater. And man, this, this, the first time I saw this, this shocked the shit out of me. I was like, Willoughby's just short, sharp cough, but it's spray of blood that hits Mildred in the face. He didn't mean to, and she knows it. This is such an, this is one of my favorite moments in this entire movie, right? We've seen him as rivals, as enemies, but just even just for like a, a, a little moment like this, right, where suddenly this becomes real for Mildred, she helps him. She calls him baby. She goes to, uh, I guess, get someone for help. She doesn't judge him or blame him. Like, she doesn't enjoy this, right? She's 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 suffering through this just like Willoughby is. It's fucking an amazing piece of compassion that uh, Mildred Hayes is afforded.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I think this is a great scene because um it is, it is nothing personal. You know, like I, I think that how she feels about him, as crazy as it sounds, it is not something personal. She is just trying to provoke and and get, the, you know, she is trying to raise awareness so, so people don't forget about it. And hopefully by doing this, she's going to get people on the news and get people talking. But unfortunately, he's the one that she kind of, you know, pins it on. Uh, it wouldn't matter if he were the if he were the deputy. Hey, great. I don't give a fuck. You give me the chief of police, you know, it's whoever the chief of police is. So they're kind of I I don't know. It almost reminds me of there was a I can't remember if it was World War One or World War Two of the the soldiers. And on Christmas Day, they all stopped shooting at each other and like had a meal and played soccer. And the next day went right back to shooting at each other. I was like, that's fucking nuts. But it it hit a point where it was like, you know, there was a time to be civil and there is a time to pick up the gun. And at that point, you know, I I think that when that happens, she's like, oh, my God, you know, I know you didn't mean to do that. I think that the maternal instinct kind of kicks in. This is a woman who is grieving for the loss of a child. And I think that that maternal instinct just... Snapped like right back into place. And she's like, Oh, baby, I know you didn't mean that, like blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's great. It's such a good scene because we need it. She's been such a bitch the whole time. Like, we need that scene to show that she does have that kind of soft we need side. To she doesn't she's really... still human. Right. We don't really see her break down. We don't really see her, you know, question what she's doing. She's so strong and steadfast that, you know, we need a moment to show the vulnerability of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Like it's it, it, it yeah, was just top such that an that shit, motherfucker. For me. No, I'm just kidding. I, I can't. <laughs> There's no way. There's no. I, I don't even try anymore. I'm just like, okay, we we all know who the better podcaster is. All right, oh <laughs> you fuck, fuck you. yourself. <laughs> Willoughby's gurneyed into an ambulance um, and Willoughby tells Dixon to let her go right like he's already kind of showing him the right way and after they take Willoughby away Jeffrey the fat dentist and the lady with the funny eye come to Mildred and tell her to take the billboards down that didn't happen maybe that's a deleted scene <laughs> Notice that I I'm was about off. to say yeah. I was like wait when the fuck I didn't see yeah. that shit <laughs> yeah. I think that's a deleted scene I'm reading off a off a, off a kind of like a a, a breakdown and that's I think that's deleted. You should have just uh, ran with it and said it was an Australian cut <laughs> and be like, ah oh, well yeah, it's just
0: uh you know, it's just the stuff you guys didn't get, you know.
1: But we kind of cut over to Robbie and Mildred driving down Drinkwater Road again. He didn't read the police reports because he was depressed enough as it fucking was. This is causing him some strife. Like this is he wants to he, he doesn't want to forget, but he also doesn't want to be reminded every day. Like this I get this. I get I get what Robbie's feeling. It's rough. And then we get this flashback. This is the one scene in the entire movie that I feel like can be cut out entirely. Um, Yeah, I I think think if they don't show her. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: if they don't show her, it's a little bit more powerful, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I feel like, yeah, but also like, you know, the convenient... You know, I hope I get raped. I hope you get raped too. Is this kind of like, okay, this is how I want to think about it. This is how I like to think about it. Because I feel like this this movie is stronger than this scene makes it out to be. I hope that this is kind of how Mildred pictures how this interaction went. Her last re- interaction went. I hope that this didn't actually happen. And I hope that this is kind of like Mildred's guilt uh, sort of creating the situation in her, in her head, if that makes sense,
0: right? Yeah, because it is, it
1: is way too. I mean, oh, obvious. I'm gonna get
0: raped. I hope you get raped. It's like, good yeah. God Almighty, why, why didn't you just give the guy the gasoline for fuck's sake? I think the only reason why this whole scene will stand up for me is because like, there will be no more cunts in this house. Oh, are you moving out? I was like, dude, yes. I fucking left so hard i was like i I fucking needed it too dude i needed that laugh i could i like uncontrollable laughter i was like i gotta pause this shit dude i'm fucking laughing my ass off because it is such a good sometimes they sometimes people set up a joke and you can see the set you know you see the setup and you know the next next line you see it coming from a mile away and i did not see that coming man and i fucking (laughs) laughed my ass off
1: <laughs> there's, there's another one. There's another one coming up that's kind of related to that that I'll mention soon. So uh, we got to look in on Chief Willoughby. Um, he uh, doctors say he needs to stay at the hospital, but he ain't staying and, and isn't arguing. Again, Willoughby has no plan on 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 being treated for this. Uh, and then we get back to Mildred, who tries to make Robbie laugh. Takes a spoonful of milk and cereal, and she slings it straight into his face. Robbie yeah. says, "You old cunt." And my favorite line in the entire movie, dude, I ain't old Robbie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it makes me think of um it uh, makes me think of fucking Shaun of the Dead when she's like uh he's argue, when sean's arguing with liz and he's like well, why don't we go with david and die she's like oh you want to go with my friends a failed actress and a twat they're harsh words they're your words i did not call diana failed actress but he like doesn't give a shit about calling <laughs> david a twat and i was like i fucking love that man i love those lines
1: it's great, it's great. What, what do you reckon about mildred's actions here like you know her trying to she's trying to cheer robbie up right like she's trying to get back to some sense of normalcy right well i think that it's funny you say sense of normalcy is what kind of
0: family is it where a sense of normalcy is slinging a t- a, a spoonful of, of cereal in your kid's face you know like that's weird to me like that's like i don't know that's those, those it's funny, and it's tension-breaking, and that's what's great about it, you know. But you can tell this family is not like most families. Like, there is spousal abuse. They curse at each other, you know. But it's all kind of done, I don't know, the spousal abuse, not so much. But, like, the, the cursing and the the mean-spirited kind of stuff is all done in jesting. It's all done in humor. And, and I think that that's what's so great about it is the fact that they call each other cunts and you know make fun of each other but it it is kind of all in humor until the dad shows up and then you see maybe these people have some issues with each other but like man they fucking have each other's backs when it comes to push or shove
1: yeah no absolutely like there's that there's that kind of like family unit there's still sort of like the structure of it is still there but yeah like you said dude her ex-husband charlie comes to a place with his 19 year old girlfriend do you know who this is uh no, I thought it was just like the the female Bill Hader. And I was like she she talks <laughs> like I don't know what it is. She talks like Hader. She looks somewhat like Margot Robbie, but she is Australian. She is the daughter of Hugo Weaving, Samara Weaving.
0: Oh okay, that's random. Yeah, uh, yeah. Agent Smith,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that I um, mean she's hot as all, but it's, dude, she's fucking smoking. But um, one of the fucking greatest actors of all time. I love Hugo. Yeah, so. She hadn't heard a word from them in seven goddamn months and she, you know, this gets, this gets physical until Penelope interrupts um, saying that she needs to pee. <laughs> I love the the ongoing joke that she smells like shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie lets go of Mildred, Robbie lowers a knife and um, you writes know, the table and uh, we we kind of find out here from Robbie that Angela asked her, Angela, the daughter, asked her father to move in with him before she died, right? And this crushes Mildred. And interestingly it crushes Mildred but in that same maternal way it doesn't change anything like she's not going to be like okay I'm going to take down the billboards because she didn't love me like there's not 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 even like a consideration of that and she's like she's still my baby even though she wanted to move in with her, <laughs> with, her hus- with her husband uh with her father rather sorry but um well and you,
0: you know you yeah. know what Samara Weaving is in she's in that new movie that just came out Ready or Not
1: yeah, yeah, I, I thought that's Oh, okay. It's not out here yet, but yeah, she's we, we talked about her upcoming attractions actually.
0: Yeah, I I haven't seen it yet. Apparently, it's supposed to be actually actually pretty good, but I was like, "All right, that's going to suck."
1: <laughs> that's what I said on the episode too, dude. I'm like, oh, I, "I don't know about this, Matt. I don't know about this." But uh we get to Dixon. Dixon's mum says he needs to fuck over, fuck over Mildred's friends, and uh, you know Dixon considers this. Mildred finds the shop closed, handwritten note on it says, "I got arrested, Denise," with a sad face. Mildred comes down to the police station. <laughs> hey, fuckhead! <laughs> Dixon arrested a friend, Denise, for possession of two marijuana cigarettes. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic when she comes in and. She's like, hey, fuckhead. And the sergeant and you
0: know, and, and fucking Dixon's like, yeah? And she's like, Dixon, you do not address her when she calls you fuckhead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good, dude. Uh, and then we get to we cut over to Willoughby and Anne having a day for themselves, right? Like this is kind of like setting up his impending suicide. Or yeah. But I love I love, you know, Willoughby speaking to his two kids, you know, about the fishing rods, and then they go over and fuck. In the forest. Oh, yeah,
0: I know. Like I was like, I hope they don't cut to them fucking because we all know they're going out there and fucking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need some subtlety, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mildred is fixing the flowers in pots and in the, the billboards and out of nowhere a fawn appears. She opens up to the fawn, right? This is, this is great, this monologue. How come you came up here out of nowhere looking so pretty? You ain't trying to make me believe in reincarnation or something, are you? Well, you're pretty, but you ain't her. She got killed, and now she'll be dead forever. I do thank you for coming up, though. If I had some food, I'd give it to you. But I've only got some Doritos, and I'd be scared that'd kill you. They're kind of pointy. Then where would you be? And the fawn leaves, and she just breaks down. Eh, you know, eh. I just,
0: I, I don't, I, let me ask you this. I I have a loaded gun to your head. Let's say I, I've got a Kimbo gun, so I've got another one to your balls. Escalated quickly? Exactly. So I'm going to pull the trigger on one of these. I'm not going to tell you which one. If you can tell me what this does to make the movie better.
1: I I appreciate kind of like an internal monologue. I, I appreciate, you know, in absence of narration, like I, I like that, you know, McDonough didn't have narration or anything to tell us what uh, to to kind of like humanize her a little bit more, I guess. Although, All right, I'm
0: lowering the hammer on the gun to your balls. So. <laughs> You don't like this? You don't like it? No, I'm lowering the hammer. That means I'm taking. I've I've clicked the hammer back, and the hammer is now being lowered back into its no. spot. No, no, I, I think that's validated. We need a little bit more of her kind of like breaking down. And what I wish they had done. The you don't like the right? You you don't really like the uh, flashback dreamish. sweet sweet you know whatever we want to call that. I don't really dig this scene. I wish they had combined them to where maybe it's a dream, and I would love to see her sit down on that room get up and it's just like it's the same shot and it's like nothing ever happened and she's like you have a good day sweetie and then she wakes up and she's on the couch and she's still dead and it's like damn that to me would show how she feels about it and the the vulnerability but also at the same time uh showing like kind of like the guilt because I, I think that's what that scene tries to get across to us is the guilt it's heavy-handed and i think this scene does a a decent job of humanizing her, but it's just random, just this random deer out of nowhere, and I was like, I just don't, I don't know. It, it just, it just seemed kind of like off to me. I, I, I don't know what it was. Um, it's not a mood killer for me, but it, it, it's if I had to cut something out, you know, I would probably cut this out. I don't really need it, you know.
1: Mm, that's interesting. It is, it is random for sure. Like it is, it it does feel like it's kind of out of nowhere. But I, again, I like the. I like that it's kinda of like her ver like a version of like her inner monologue. Like I like that we kind of get some sort of feeling as to what she's feeling. And also, fucking McDormand nails this. Right? Like she's just Yeah killing this like if this was a lesser actress then maybe i'd be a, be a bit like oh, i don't know it's a bit rocky but she's just absolutely nailing this by the way that deer looks like dog shit it's green screened as fuck
0: yeah right and i read something about something with a deer and its trainer and i was like whoa 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 that deer is not fucking real I was like there's no way right no. like that's not a real deer right
1: it's a okay so it's a real deer but it's it's filmed in like a a par- like an observatory. It's not there with her. Oh, it's so spliced it's in. it's kind of like cut out her. and green screened in. Yeah, it's superimposed. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, no, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> mm. uh, Mildred goes to Welby's office. Red is saying that the money she gave was uh, the deposit, so she's actually a month behind in the payment. Right. This is Red kind of uh, changing his mind. Or rather, someone's getting to Red. And uh, they're interrupted by Pamela, who gives Red a mysterious envelope full of banknotes. The note says uh, the money is to go towards the fund for Mildred Hayes' billboard, signed a friend. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think
0: think anybody's actually getting to him? Or do you think it's just a conversation he's had with Dixon and he's like, oh... I didn't know that he had cancer. It's bothering me now because if he's willing to forgive Dixon for beating the fuck out of throwing out of a window, imagine how bad he feels knowing that. Um, oh God, the, the chief. The Willoughby? chief has cancer. Yeah, Willoughby, Thank you. Imagine how bad he feels now knowing that that guy has cancer and he's taking money to you know basically slander him.
1: Yeah, you know what? I actually hadn't considered that. Seeing as like the last time with would Welby was he just learned that fact so yeah it's probably more likely that you know his conscience is speaking to him and being like hey it's kind of wrong <laughs> to be doing this to chief willoughby right now so yeah maybe maybe someone didn't get to him i think you're right there for sure uh,
0: you know uh so yeah i guess i'm gonna need a receipt for the for, for those days uh like now and he's like oh yeah yeah yeah," <laughs> <It> starts going <laughs> for the receipt that's great man <laughs>
1: I think, man, Caleb Caleb Landry Jones fucking kills this. Like he's he he's the. I love how he's like you know stumbling over his words and he's like not too sure what to do. He's kind of caught in the middle of this, but I I I think he nails this, man. Like this is great. But Willoughby tucks the kids into bed. Uh, it's the end of a fun day. <laughs> Anne is drunk, uh, and they, you know, they flirt together. Uh, she makes dick jokes, uh, saying that he's got the best cock, or beautiful cock rather. Willoughby Willoughby says uh, he needs to clean the horse shit, and uh, as Willoughby shovels the shit, thinks of the day. <laughs> last word was Oscar Wilde and then picks up a black hood on the outside of which he's pinned a note that reads don't open the bag call the boys and shoots himself
0: god damn that was a left turn man that is not what i I mean i you was there's not subtle signs right you you know that he's not going to sit there and and let himself sit at the hospital and whittle away and at some hope at some even slight hope and i think that this is another great contrast between hit, between him uh between um uh, he and uh oh my god I'm drawing a blank I, I keep wanting to say Ingrid I'm like her name's not fucking Ingrid um Mildred Mildred um, I think right and I think that's I think that's a great contrast between them where she is holding off on you know, way 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 out in left field, on some slight hope that somebody might actually you know be able to help her, and he that ship has sailed for him. Like you know, he's probably got several months left of like semi decent health. He's not wasting away. He's not you know, but it, I think that he is cutting it off before there's he even is any blood. signs of it. Yeah, bro, for sure, it's getting like bad. But like, I think if I mean, even if you were to enter some kind of like treatments, like yeah, there's still three or four months of like. Of decent health before you're like bedridden and fucking going blind and shit yeah. and all that horrible stuff it's like but he is like no i the first sign that that this that there that this is fruitless I'm done, I am done and it's like damn that that is fucking like he said, you know, you could sit there and know it's it's the bravery of the next few months of still being with you and still waking up with you uh, of playing with the kids and against the next few months of seeing in your eyes, you know, see me whittle away and stuff like that. You know, and th- that's that's what I think is so great about it is is just him saying, like, I'm not going to sit there and let me let you or yeah, you know what I mean? I'm not going to sit there and. Let you watch me whittle away like that, and he's like, "I'm just not doing
1: it." And it's like, "Damn, that's fucking brutal." It's a hard decision to make, to be honest. Like, if you're if you're Willoughby, so I got a question for you, right? So does does um does Mildred putting up the billboards does that accelerate, or or rather influence his decision? Hmm, that's a really good question. I I didn't even really think about that. Like, if we if we if we want to tie like Mildred's connections, like Mildred's actions. Of putting up the billboards and Willoughby's death, uh or suicide, if we want to tie those two things together and correlate them, like are they are they connected? Did Mildred somehow cause the death of Willoughby?
2: Or did like, she as, as inadvertently the
0: inspire it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As the movie's trying to make you believe, because that's what um Dixon believes, right? Right. And 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 I think that I, I
0: don't I I maybe she did, but in a positive way. I know that's weird. But bear with me. The only thing I can think is that he realizes, hey, like I'm dying and uh, I see the state that this woman is left in when, you know, somebody that close to her has died. And I don't want to sit there and watch that happen to me. I don't want to sit there and watch that happen to my kids and my wife. And I would rather, you know, them their final their final memory of me not be because, you I think, you know, uh, Mildred, she's just thinking about that charred corpse of her daughter. That's her last image. <clears throat> and he's like, now versus she, she didn't get to choose the fate that she lives with for the rest of her life, thinking about her daughter. I will choose the fate of how people remember me because I've seen the alternative and it fucking sucks. He's like, "And I'm not doing that shit. And I'm like, I, I, I think that's what I think is great about it. It's just him saying, no, I'm going out on my own terms. You know, I I. Yeah. And there's plenty of arguments for euthanasia and people who are, you know, they're losing their minds and they have dementia and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that I, I personally think that that should be prob- an option for people. It's your body. It's your life. And I don't think that anybody should tell you that you should have to sit there and endure those final months of pain because they, they don't think you should do that. It's like, fuck you, man. I'm the one dying. So it's like, ultimately, I think that's totally a decision. I mean, I don't want to see some healthy 19 year old, you know, who's, you know, girlfriend dumped and go jump off a bridge. That's fucking way different. But I think in cases like that, you know, I, I think that, like he said, it's not in the bravery of looking down a bullet. It's in the bravery of 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 not letting you see me like that. But but no, to answer yeah. your question, no, I don't think she inspires him in a negative way. I think it inspires him in a positive way to be like, life's too short. I can't spend my whole life getting pissed off because somebody put my name on a billboard. He's like, I, I have a family, she doesn't, I need to go and spend time with them and let them, you know, let let us have this last moment together, you know?
1: That's a good way of putting it. I'd, I'd never... Oh man, there's a couple of things I'm not fucking considering in this episode, am I? But yeah, I haven't <laughs> considered that, but <laughs> I, initially, like when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, okay, so... I, I had the view that Dixon has initially. Like I had the view that Mildred's, you know, renting out of the billboards pretty much prematurely caused uh Willoughby's death. Like that that totally inspired it. But like now I'm just like I don't I don't think I did. I don't think it did. I'd like you know, Willoughby says in his suicide note that I'm just taking on face value, right? Like I, I have to believe that like what he's writing in his suicide note is the truth because I mean he knows he's about to die. So he says that they're a great idea and like, you know, he totally apologizes and I, I I don't think the guilt of like not catching Angela Hayes' killer is getting to him. I I think honestly it's it's what you said. I think it's more like I don't wanna I don't wanna suffer through this, I don't want my family to suffer through this. I think that Willoughby kills himself had this billboard stuff not gone down in the first place anyway. So yeah. But that's a, yeah, that's a conversation I wanted to have with you because I I, I wasn't too sure initially. I was just like, uh, I don't know if those two two things are connected, but yeah.
0: I I definitely think so strictly because, I mean, like you said, you want to take it on face value that he's not lying. And I know, you know, I I believe that Willoughby's last words to that person would not be a lie. You know, he's like, this is my last testimonial. This is the final chapter. I at least, you know, I have to be 100% honest here, you know?
1: yeah i mean like and that's why that's why i'm I'm choosing to fucking put so much value in those words right because there's no way he's lying in his last words in his last moments but anyway man um what do you reckon about taking a break right here let's do it fuck yeah guys thank you so much for hanging around uh we will be right back with more three billboards outside ebbing missouri Well, well, well who made it this far into the episode. Just while we're taking a quick break here, we've got a few things that we just wanted to put out there for any newcomers, or if you're not part of our growing community, maybe this could benefit you too. Firstly, we just want to let the newbies know about our episodes and the way Midnight Double Feature currently structured. As you know, right now you're listening to one of our feature presentations. When we started the podcast, we basically built a show around our feature presentations. These are movies that we choose to cover and basically go through everything in the movie that's worth talking about sequentially. These episodes are generally longer, and we're definitely looking at ways to spice up our feature presentations by hopefully getting guests on. We also have our upcoming attractions episode. Typically, these come out during the week and are much more shorter than our feature presentations. These are hosted by Matt Vella and basically consist of a conversation between Matt and I about any movie news that's worth talking about, quick reviews of movies that are out of the cinema, and other hijinks. Finally, we have our special features. These are usually one-off special episodes that are mostly experimental and don't really have any specific definition. They could be a sit-down with a cast or crew member, a conversation between the host or just a straight up different thing that might not even relate to film before I let you get back to the episode I just wanted to thank our listeners and supporters we definitely couldn't have done any of this without your guys constant support if for some reason you're not a part of our growing community head to our socials we've got two pages on Facebook Midnight Double Feature which is our main page and has our formal announcements and we also have the after party which is where we post memes news and teasers of what's to come on Midnight Double Feature we're also on Instagram which is at Midnight Double Feature and Twitter which is at Pod. you can also send us an email if we have any grievances or would like to let us know what we're doing wrong that's uh midnight double feature at gmail.com thanks again for listening guys back to the show guys, welcome back to our episode of uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, We are back from our break, freshly squeezed, as we like to say. Freshly squeezed! Uh, But essentially, the cops are dealing with the fallout of Willoughby's death, right? And this is... We're gonna see how this affects Dixon, and we're gonna see how this, how Dixon decides to take matters into his own hands. I love this kind of like Dixon being like not even aware of it, like he's listening to his headphones, and then like you know the 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 other cops like storm into the the station, throwing shit around, and he's like, "What happened?" Finds out in the bathroom. I love him, kind of like you know brushing his hair he kind of like balls his hand up into a fist it looks like he's about to punch the glass before he changes his mind
0: oh yeah i was thinking i was like dude that that would be badass if he just ripped off into that mirror like did it pull the nightcrawler and just fucking yeah. ripped into it i was like nah he won't do that
1: <laughs> no nah, he's a bitch but he's not really that much of a bitch is he because what happens next let's uh let's talk about this Oh, no, he's still a bitch. I mean, <laughs> it's like
0: <laughs> you you beat up a completely un- unarmed man and then punch a woman in the face. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, uh, I- I'm amazed that it took as long as it did just to get. I mean, like, the great part is when he's crossing the street and there's the new chief, like, right there. And you're like, ooh, yeah. oof. Fuck. Like, that's really what seals the deal. But, um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just amazed that it even took that long that there wasn't some cop in there who's like, all right, dude, you're under arrest. Like, come here. Like, somebody would have arrested him, you know? But it's like, it's just incredible to think that all these guys just have his back so much that they're like, no, you're fine, dude. Like, okay. Yeah, all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Like, this, this whole thing here is just so. So fucking well done. This was so unexpected when he just, you know, goes across the street to the advertising agency, just, (laughs) you know, uses his nightstick to smash the glass. Dude, when he pulled out his gun from the holster, I was like, no way. He's not going to shoot him. He's not going to shoot him. But essentially, yeah, he fucking throws him off the roof and palms what's-her-name in the face. Jesus Christ. This is is brutal. Well, yeah, I mean that and like you talked about him pulling the gun out like you know he's not
0: going to shoot somebody over it he's not that stupid but like i expected him to come up and just like shoot around his feet you know or something do something fucked up but when he switched you see him flip the gun i'm like oh, okay so this is a this is a uh, a butt bashing thing okay i got it
1: a lot of pistol weapon going on um so yeah like you said he walks past the new um <laughs> the new boss the new chief Um, and this is Clark Peters, uh, probably best known for his role in The Wire as Detective Lester Freeman. This, this dude's, this dude's awesome dude. He was, he also had a little bit part in the first John Wick as well. He's, he's cool. He's a cool cat. Cool cat. Um, you know what we didn't mention? Oh, actually, you know what we have? I'm sorry. (laughs) We mentioned that, um, fucking Sam Rockwell and... Fucking, what's her name? Jesus Christ. Where am I blanking? She's the lead. Frances McDormand won Oscars for this movie. Oh, yeah. You know, somebody stole her fucking Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. That's fucking weird. Did did she end up getting it back? I don't, uh...
0: Um, yeah, uh, apparently it was, like, a really brief moment, but there's, like, um... There's, like, a picture of her—the guy's name was Terry Bryant. Terry, it's it's from—this from New York Times. And it's a picture of them standing right beside each other, standing near Francis McDormand at the Governor's Ball on Sunday. Mr. Mr. Bryant was later charged in the theft of Miss McDon- McDormand's Academy Award statue. So I guess he sold it, like, the after party. Uh, I'm, I'm not—yeah. Uh, a man accused of theft, Terry Bryant of Los Angeles, was in custody on Monday afternoon A Los Angeles. Uh, uh, last LAPD spokeswoman said on Monday— uh, faced charges of grand theft. Like, damn, I guess that thing's... uh, Yeah, his bail was set at $20,000. Yeah, she... Uh, McDormand was seen putting her Oscar down on a table while she snacked on macaroni and cheese and chatted. Not long after, a photographer working for Wolfgang Puck, you know, the chef Wolfgang Puck, who catered the event, noticed a man with an Oscar in hand leaving the area.
1: <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> uh, God damn it. That's that's at least you know what now he's got the story for the rest of his life to be like this is what I did, children. This is what I I, did. I, I
0: (laughs) I would just love to see him like looking around. Like just kind of going side eyed both ways, and then just like the Beverly Hills cop, like boo, boo 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 boo, and just him coming <laughs> up and grabbing it, and running away. Like how stealthy uh, were you that a fucking? I mean, I guess there's hundreds of people around. How could you possibly get away with that? You know,
1: dude. And with all those celebrities there, the security would be nuts. <laughs> oh yeah. So Mildred drives Robbie to school. Suddenly, um, the windscreen gets hit by a shake. Uh, Mildred gets out of the car and kicks these two kids in their crotches. Fucking yeah. punk punts the last one. I <laughs> know. <What> the- <laughs> <laughs> I fucking
0: love that because you think she, you know, she's not going to hit that girl.
1: <laughs> no she just she she doesn 't give a fuck, but again, this is kind of just showing the the fallout I guess right of her um taking out these uh advertisements and um robbie thanks thanks her on his way to school for making his life worse and uh we get uh, the new chief Abercrombie entering the station house says he's been sent down to take over from Chief Willoughby walks to Disc- Dixon and asks what happened to his hands. Dixon says he banged him up while he was throwing some guy out of a fucking window, you know the usual. Abba Aber- <laughs> Crombury asks for his badge and his gun. <laughs> Dixon gives him his gun but can't find his badge. He's just like, oh, I, I can't I actually can't find it, sir. <laughs> oh, Dude, man. what a
0: fucking moron, man. Like the the hilarious part is like, I mean, again, when he walks across the street and you just see him put that hand on his hip and the badge is on his on is on his belt and you're like, Oh fuck. Like either that's like a state trooper, or or you know, so that, like that's somebody who out, definitely outranks him, a detective or something like that. And then w- once he gets in there, and he's like, and he's, what does he say? He's like, none of you crackers got any work to do. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's like, isn't that racist? <laughs> uh, I love, I love Dixon being like, that's racist. <laughs> then we get this scene in the gift shop, right? This this guy, this this guy who. Ends up being the subject of <laughs> Mildred and Dixon's witch hunt later. Uh it comes to the gift shop. Uh, Mildred thinks he's a customer, but he throws a glass rabbit at her. Dude, seven bucks for that thing? Come on. That's highway robbery, Mildred. Well,
0: well the thing that she somehow supports... A child is a single mother and has that house. I was like, nah, there's no fucking way. Like, like, there's no way she supports that and pays that mortgage unless like, oh, yeah, this little shot glass is twenty seven dollars. You don't have to be something outrageous. But (laughs) um, that's a good point.
1: That's a good point.
0: This whole scene. I don't I don't hate it. But is who is this dude? Did he just hear about the story and he didn't like her, or is he actually a friend of Willoughby's? Like, I know we don't ever quite get a beat on him, but like, I didn't really know. I don't know. He just kind of comes in there out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think it would have been different if there had been something, maybe some indication that that Mildred is like you know she's she's basically saying like hey I saw this guy and or maybe he looks familiar or maybe in some way she starts to indicate him and then we have this scene so it's like oh fuck but I don't know it it, I didn't hate it but this scene it does just seem kind of random
1: you know well yeah I mean I guess yes but I mean he could be doing this out of fear like he doesn't know I mean like let's let's assume that this guy uh the girl that he well, because we know he raped someone, we don't know that he murdered that girl, but he could be like, okay, this bitch—the the case that she's putting out there sounds very similar to mine, so I'm gonna do some shit to try and throw her off the trail.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really know what to think of it because it just seems so, so random. And, and and part of me, even though I mean, I know they say he's not in the country and it's not his DNA, but part of me still is like. Maybe he's not the one. Maybe he's one of the onlookers. Maybe he's not the guy who actually physically physically raped her, but he's one of the guys who was a party to it. Like and I know when he's in the bar, he says there was like two or three guys. So it's like, well, couldn't this guy just be one of the onlookers instead? Like, I don't know. I, I think that it's there has to be some kind of connection even like tentatively to put him here you know for whatever reason i don't know it it is kind of random it just it just threw me off it just seemed like we needed this scene is in there because we need to set up the fact that this guy is going to come back later that's that's what it seemed like the whole reason of this scene was to me
1: so Anne walks in right uh she gives her the letter from willoughby and has a has a bit of a bit of a cry well not a cry but you know like she's what what does she say to her? I
0: don't know, she needs to get the fuck over it. Like, God damn, lady. Like <laughs> He
1: he died that morning. <laughs> Can I just remind you of that? <laughs> get it. But over she does make a good it. point. No, she- like <laughs> She makes a good point of being like, What the fuck do we do on the day that your husband dies? <laughs> like that's just fucked up.
0: I tell you what you uh, do, you get the fuck. oh, no, I'm just kidding. um,
1: tell you what, tell you what go go, go to the local fucking warehouse, buy a few bags of concrete, put it in some water, and drink that shit
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just lay in a bathtub of it and drown yourself like you would your sorrows <laughs> no yeah it, 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 like it's it's a pretty good scene. I think that there has to be this makes sense. the widow of. This guy that you have been kind of defaming coming and saying something to you that that to me is not random. That to me is like, listen, you know, he wrote these letters. And the thing is, he could have just put them in the mail and they would have gotten them in a week or two. But he was like, listen, I need you to go give this to her. And I think it almost I don't know. I wish there had been something something to where, you know, she had said something like, I don't know, maybe I'm just reaching here. But I would love him be like, hey, listen, you don't need to hate her. She didn't fucking do anything. This is my decision, you know, you you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't want to like seem like I'm splitting hairs here, but uh, I think that not that he chose for them to get together, but there is something interesting about the fact that he has his wife go and do it. You know, maybe maybe he's doing that intentionally to make Mildred kind of face, you know,
1: to to face something like that. You know what I mean? To what are you saying? Like for, for to see to make Mildred be a little bit more sympathetic to him maybe
0: not even to him but to just say like hey listen like you know every you know i'm trying to think of the right way to say it like maybe something because i think when she knows that he has cancer and she's like i don't give a fuck you'll be you know these billboards are more impactful with you being alive before you die i knew you had cancer and it's like fuck like i think that's when that pity comes in and he's like you know This I need you to see that what what you're doing is is wrong. Like she has now started to hit a point where it's like this is getting really tasteless, like having this shit up, because the fact that the chief of police just shot himself in the head is now taking away all of this kind of attention that would ever come from the billboards, any positive you know kind of thing. And I think he's trying to say, hey, not that that's the reason that he shot himself. But I think he's I think he's I don't know. I personally think he's trying to say something with having her deliver the letter and be like, look at the look at look at the reality of 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 what's happening because of all this. And I'm not saying let it go. But like, what are you trying to accomplish with this? Really? Like raising awareness. OK, that's cool. But what what happens after you raise awareness? You know, like what's yeah. what's going on
1: here? What's the next steps? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, Willoughby's letter. First, he apologises for dying without catching a daughter's killer. He says he did care. Uh, But there are some cases where you never catch a break. Then five years down the line, some guy hears some other guy bragging about it in a bar room or a jail cell, and the whole thing is wrapped up through sheer stupidity. Then he writes about the billboard, saying it was a great fucking idea. They were like a a chess move, although they had nothing to do with his dying. But he is sure... He's sure everyone in town will assume that they did. So as a counter move, he decided to pay the next month's rent. (laughs) I I love how she, as she's reading it, she's laughing.
0: (laughs) I called, sorry, I called that shit when it was like, oh, Oh. some some, uh, suspicious person. I was like, well, who the fuck has got five grand sitting around? I was like, we know he's loaded. He's got fucking horses in a stable out back. They've got a nice house. I was like, dude, he's got the five grand to drop, especially if you're dying but because i think at that point what does he care i'm fucking dead like uh, let her rub my name in the dirt if it helps the, if it helps them find who killed this fucking guy or who or, or helps them find who killed this fucking girl cool i don't care i'm dead
1: yeah yeah yep 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 let me get yep, yep, dixon yep 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 we yep, yep. <laughs> get dixon talking to his mom right who wants? who's asking him if he if he wants her to go down and talk to them jesus dixon doesn't want that somebody's sending that goddamn mother the fuck is this <laughs> oh man things have moved on in the south says dixon and it's um it, it it might even be like him coming to grips with this like that things have moved on like this is kind of like the character telling himself that as well yeah i can <clears throat> i can kind of see
0: the seeds of that being planted um, uh, because we I, I i by the way his mom is max mom from always sunny in philadelphia
1: um, oh, nice. I've oh, seen God. it from somewhere,
0: somewhere. I do that. Did you hear what always sunny in Philadelphia or no? I have a problem of saying always funny in Philadelphia. I, I swap that up <laughs> all the time. Like I'm fucking dyslexic. Nice. Um, <clears throat> but um, no, I, I do see th- because I think he's he's kind of looking at his mom and she's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's fucked up. I mean, how you been there three years? Like blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, this can't I can't. This can't be me. I can't let this happen to me. I'm not going to be sitting there, sitting on a porch, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer my whole life. And I think once, I mean, especially the fact that it's a, is, is, he, is he racist? Yes. Like, did he torture somebody? We don't really know. Probably. So, probably. So when a black cop shows up, a black chief of police or a detective or whatever, you know, a, a, for, a formal title chief. that guy has. I'm just going yeah. Okay, yeah. When that guy shows up and it's just like, give me your gun and your badge and get the fuck out of here. He's kind of like, oh, okay, so like I need to grow up because is he not just so like he's dumb and he's racist. and He's a fucking idiot. But there's almost this weird innocence to Dixon. He's reading comic books and he's always got like the fucked up hair and the cowlicks, you know,
1: you know what I mean? That's that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm thinking maybe he's close to being on the spectrum. No. Yeah, totally. Like it is kind of one of those things of like, is he
0: is he legitimately choosing to be this person or is he so immature that he's, he hasn't really, I don't know. He hasn't questioned the things around him. You know, like I said, if he, if this guy were like the quarterback of the football team and it was just Mr. Popular in high school. And I, I, I do, I love Sam Rockwell. Now it's making sense to me if this was a much younger character, if he were five, six, seven, eight years younger, that would make a little bit more sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, I feel, yeah, yeah. I feel like, how old do you think this guy is? Maybe like mid-30s? Yeah, I'd say early to mid-30s. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, If this guy is like 24 or 25, I'm like, dude, I buy that. I know he... Now, Rockwell and McDormand, I mean, they fucking deserve the fuck out of those Oscars. But Rockwell, I know this guy. He is so a mosaic of so many people I went to school with that I know. I mean, down to the haircut... And the the drunken kind of stare where they're like staring in your chest, and they're drunk, and they're not really looking in your eye. It's like, dude, everything, even down to the way that he walks, is like, I, I just, we haven't talked about <clears throat> Sam Rockwell enough, and the character development that he did on this, and and trying to get the accent down. And I, th- I think this is the only Oscar he's won so far, right? Best support. Yeah,
1: that's correct. Yeah.
0: That's fucking badass, dude. And he just he totally deserves it. I think he knocked it out of the fucking park. But there is this kind of like a guy who has probably never left his hometown and never questioned anything about it either. And now that he has been, you know, kind of I don't want to even say dethroned, but he's been made uncomfortable. He's been made to question his surroundings, especially being, you know, kind of deauthorized by a, a black guy at that. I think that it kind of makes him like, wow, what the fuck, you know?
1: Well there's no like there's no better sort of example to show that Dixon's growing and changing than the end of this this scene, right? When he doesn't listen to his mum. I mean like we've been told by multiple characters that Dixon listens to his mum, like his mum's boy, but here he's just like no, um like you know, I'm going to blow your fucking goddamn head off. <laughs> is what he says. Right, yeah. So yeah. And then we get the billboards being on fire. This was goddamn. Like, I should have seen this coming, but I I didn't, and the reveal of it was fantastic. This sequence is so fucking well shot, dude. Like, it looks beautiful. But not only that, like, this is such a fantastic scene of, like, look at this desperate, desperate mother trying to save what is left of her symbolically- her daughter like you know what i mean like this is like the memory of her daughter that's burning up right now right no
0: that, that's i think that's a perfect way to put it um the tarantino feel of this is the wide shot of her running to the building, yes. like dude that yeah. is tarantino as fuck um but but no i i absolutely love the scene because she definitely saw this coming why the fuck does she have a fire extinguisher in the car because yeah that, absolutely that's the, the first i Good mean catch well, yeah I guess. I mean, some people do, you know, if your car catches fire, you know, under the hood. But um, but no, I I, I once she pulled up and she had that fire extinguisher, I was like, I knew at some point I knew that somebody was going to, like, tie a, a chain around this thing and rip it off. They were going to do something to this because. Yeah, something uh, physical. Yeah. Right. As small a town as it is that I just knew it was coming, you know. But yeah, that's a great point. It's like. Man, that's such a good point you just make. It's like literally having to watch your daughter burn all over again. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, God. No, there you go. From before, mind blowns I've given you. You can blow my mind for once. Once <laughs> <What? laughs> you blow my dick too. No, I'm just. Kidding.
1: Well, that's. I mean, that's 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 me and sex, right? Like, oh, you know, just like oh, just make them come once. <coughs> Oh man. But yeah, this this whole sequence is fantastic. I again McDormand just crushes it when Robbie doesn't let go of the fire extinguisher and she just like shouts his name and she she runs over to that last one and she just collapses in the middle of the field, dude. It's 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 beautiful. I love it. Later the fire's out, the billboards are smoldering, and <clears> we get uh Chief Abercrombie comes over, Mildred answers, uh you can ask me all the questions you want if you take me down and arrest me, revealing, I guess yeah uh she's like because she 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 says that I'm going to fucking retaliate basically right right yeah absolutely and like
0: uh which I think we can kind of see coming obviously, like this is beginning you know the eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, and I think it's coming to that, but I especially love when she walks off and what does he say the lines like you know we're not all bad or something like that'
1: Um yeah I, yeah pretty much like don't lump us all in, in in together yeah right
0: yeah exactly and that's like i think that's a huge message of of this as well as as simple as it is like i th- i think that a movie that does I, a movie that does this kind of thing better is something like prisoners um, there's just a, a little bit more of the thriller aspect in that for me, and that's what I dig about this, but...
1: Yeah, it's a bit more hard-hitting, yeah, for right. sure. Right, and
0: it's it's an unsolved crime. This is cutting, like, this is an unsolved crime, but we have a body. We know what happened to this person, you know? So I do, I like the fact that, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, A, it's a, it's a cop who has been, you know, all the cops have been at, at the, you know, at, at the, I guess, I don't want to say the mercy of this woman, but they've all been they've all been the target kind of for of bashing. But, you know, for her talking about Crips and blood and lumping people in together and all males should be, you know, donating blood and blah, blah, blah. You know, to to have somebody a a police officer and be a person of color be like, hey, don't lump us all in together like that. I loved yeah. that. I thought that was such a good point to make because she is becoming very... I mean, that's Single-minded. Yeah, that's what dictators do. They lump people in together and say, oh, you have blue eyes? Well, you're the superior race. You have this? Well, you go in the boxcar. It's like, what the fuck, man? That's... Yeah. Oh, That's fucking terrifying, you know?
1: Yeah. (laughs) When she drives past the news crew the next day, (laughs) Mildred calls from the car, this don't put an end to shit, you fucking retard. This is just the fucking start, so why don't you put that on your good morning, Missouri fucking wake up broadcast, bitch? I know, dude. That (laughs)
0: mouthful... I mean, Jesus Christ, but I love the fact that she cuts. She's like, and maybe this will put an end to the odd saga of the three billboards outside. Hey, you fucking like she cuts her off before she says the title. And I was like, right. oh, that's great, man. It's like it's like when you're watching like Rogue One and he's like, what's the name of your ship? Uh, Rogue One. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, I love the fact that before it could even cut the line out. Here's this. That's so great. Here's here's this typical moment where we should be like, oh, yeah, they're going to say the title of the movie. <clears throat> And it's the dark humor that ends up, you know, yeah. kind of cutting through Looking that. Mad, it's fuck, yeah. yeah, it's fucking great. It's awesome.
1: Uh, okay, so this is where, we, where Dixon finds out about Willoughby's letter for him, right? Right. Uh, Dix, Dixon want to go. Dixon wants to go there right away, but uh, the death sergeant asks him if he can come when everyone goes home. Uh, he can leave the keys to the police station this way. Dixon nods, so he won't have to cry. And. Um, at the police station, Dixon reads his letter with the headphones on. This, this is where I believe that, you know, in the, in the scene previously with Dixon and his mom and him kind of being defiant to his mom, th- I think that was a lead up to, to his 180 turn, but this kind of seals the deal, right? Like Willoughby's sort of dying words. He reads his letter and Willoughby says he believed in him. Deep down, he's a decent man and he's got the makings of being a really good cop. Um, and of course we get Mildred with the backpack. She looks fucking badass by the way. Like she looks like she can survive a zombie fucking outbreak.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. She looks like she's about to like hit the streets of fucking Venezuela with like a riot shield, you know? Like Love it. She looks like something out of a fucking Raids Against the Machine video.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I do love that she calls the police station first, making sure that no one's inside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, telephone to ear, backpack on the table, broken window, looking out in the police uh, station across the street. Starts ringing, but Dixon still has his headphones on, so he can't hear it. Uh, Willoughby thinks Dixon is angry, and he says, as long as Dixon holds on to so much hate, that he's never going to become what Willoughby knows Dixon wants to become, a detective. Right, obviously one of the big themes of the movie, like let go of the hate.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. There, There's actually some really good video essays. I strongly urge anybody listening to this to check out about this, about hate and about love. And, uh, you know, there, there's 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 some criticisms of, uh, criticisms of this one I didn't watch was like how not to. <clears throat> it's something like how not to talk about race in a film or something like that. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'm actually really interested because all we've been doing is fucking, you know, you've been eating the ass and I've been sucking the dick of this movie the whole night and. I'm, I want to hear a contrary opinion to that and be like, no, this movie fucking sucks. You know, not. I'm not talking about, like, how did this get made hilarious review? Like, I would like to hear a genuine, like, constructive or negative criticism of it, you know, because it's, it is it is kind of hard for me to hit anything, you know. it's It's hard for me to find anything that's really... I don't know, like, not great. Other than a couple of scenes we don't really need here or there, but I haven't really seen anything that's like, ah, that just lost me, you know?
1: So I have seen some criticisms about this movie. Um, okay. I know that I know that there are people out there who think that it should not have been nominated for as many Oscars as it was. I'm wondering now if Daniel Foucher's comment might reflect that. Uh, I'd like to see what Daniel thinks about this movie. Yeah, um, There are people out there who think that it's a bit overrated. I think... Most of the, I think most of the criticism revolves around the character of Dixon. Um, I think that pe- a lot of people think, and look, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but sure, sure. I think I think the g- consensus about about that among people who don't really like this film is that Dixon is a way to. Negative at the start, way too of a bigot, way too of a character caricature, Um, and B his turnaround happens way too quick, and those are both points that we've raised already in the podcast. So
0: no, yeah, that's that's totally fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, (laughs) that's all the shit that I've kind of had issues with. You know, it's nothing that just drastically takes me out of the movie, Um, but you know, I um, I don't know. I, I can agree and disagree with some of those comments.
1: Yeah. So, you're pretty much telling everyone that they're wrong, right? Right, yes. It's cute. It's very <laughs> cute. Right. Mildred lights the lighter, and me pen. We, oh, dude. The fucking. When she when she first throws out Molotov. Oh, my God. What did you think about this? Did you see any of this coming? <coughs> no, I did it's not. It's like, fuck it. Right, yeah. I. I.
0: I... If there had been some previous indication of like a Molotov cocktail, like she was making them or something, then yeah. But no, I I didn't see this coming at all. And once I, I don't know, once I saw him in there and I saw her go across the street, I I looked at Lindsay and I said, she's going to do something and fucking get somebody killed. Once she was making the phone call, I knew that something was happening then, but I didn't know if it was fucking Molotov cocktails. Like she might as well shot him with a fucking rocket launcher. I was like, God damn.
1: Yeah, I, I was not expecting that at all. I was not expecting this kind of escalation. I knew that like she was going to retaliate because of the billboards being damaged, but I did not see this coming. Um talk about fucking steel resolve, dude. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Here's something. What what do you think about Dixon not realizing until like the fourth Molotov?
0: The lighting would have tipped me off. I'd have been like, Why is why you know yeah, I, why is I- it brighter? Right, I actually would have laughed my ass off if he were so dimwitted that at one point he just turned the flashlight off. He's like, oh, I got brighter Mm -hmm. here and just starts reading his his letter by like the firelight. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a little goofy, uh, you know, just that he's that oblivious to it. Uh, But it is in the middle of the night. He is, you know, he is getting the last communication he'll ever get from his mentor kind of. So, I I, mean, I can shave off a couple points right there, and yeah Yeah. that's a little bit more believable.
1: I get it. It's an emotional scene for him. For sure. You don't even need a gun, and you definitely don't need hate. Hate never solved anything, but Calm did, and Thought did. Try it. Try it just for a change. No one will think you're gay. And if they do, arrest him for homophobia. (laughs) Won't they be surprised? (laughs) (laughs) But things are going to change for you. Damn. That's when the last uh, Molotov hits, and... Smashes through Dixon's window. He hits the ground and, um, you know, gets up and sees the Angela Hayes file about it. Oh, uh, catching fire. Grabs it and pats it against himself. Gets the flames. Uh, dude, fucking, dude, the jump out the window and then the crawling. Dude, that shit is wild. No, yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think that,
0: and just, just a quick thing. I really, really love when he starts freaking out and he goes, think. Calm. And it's like, yeah. oh, like, wow, that's great. Like literally taking the the words that you just read, taking them to heart and not, you know, because it would have been so easy to just freak out right then. That's so typical Dixon. And he's like, you know, that's why I'm saying I don't mind him not paying attention to the fire because he's so sucked into paying attention to the words that this person is, uh, I guess, writing him, you know, whatever. And I mean, because I, I didn't think I was like, oh, whatever. His, his legs will be on fire or something like that. But when they roll him over, I was like, oh, boy, howdy. That yeah. fucking full two face. Yeah. right, Yeah. I was like, Jesus, I'm not going to lie. He kind of looks like a fucking badass later on, though, man. Like that's oh, yeah. like that's some cool looking like as I started looking at him with the burns on his face, I was like, do I want a Sam Rockwell Mad Max? Do I want a Sam Rockwell? Uh, nice. Like I wanted it, man, because like I don't know something about him. That turn is a little drastic, but he becomes like an antihero. He becomes yeah, a fucking absolutely. badass, man, uh, and through some revelations too with the plot, you know.
1: Absolutely, dude. When we see James uh, here helping Dixon out in fire, I was like, why is there a child helping him? <laughs> Who gave that child a mullet and a mustache? Oh um, god! But now, yeah, he sprints over and beats out the flames with his hands and clothes. Uh, but Dixon's head, hands, and body are badly charred. Um, and Mildred turns away from him, horrified, and sees the case file lying there, and realizes what Dixon has done. As the sirens and blue lights of the ambulance and firemen arrive. Now, did you think she was going to take the case file?
0: I totally thought she was going to grab it and run. I really did.
1: I initially, I, I remember, did thinking that. Yeah, but then I was like, I don't. Maybe she's somewhat in shock. Like. Because she's, um, because she's thinking that there's no one in this police station, and we already know that she, when when it comes to people, when it comes to actual physical harm, uh, when she sees that stuff, then she's taken aback, like that kind of gets right. to her. So I'm just like, maybe she won't. Well, it, it's so easy to
0: play sabotager and and this and that, like kicking a couple of kids in the cunt nuts. You know, that's uh, that's that one's not so, yeah, you know, that one's not so bad. You know, but when you're setting fire to a building and there's somebody still in it, like you can you feel the horror with her. And unfortunately, though, it's like, you know, this is the risk you take when you become this type of person. And it's you know, I know your intent was not to hurt anybody. But you have to be held responsible for those actions. Like, you, yeah. you you have to be held responsible for the fact of, like, you didn't know there could have been a, could have been a janitor in there, you know, mopping the floor. Right. Some guy who didn't have anything to do with this story. You just don't fucking know. And I, I think that, you know, you die a hero or you and now this is where she has become. <clears throat> whereas. Dixon has gone from the black way towards the white in terms of like morality. She's gone from the white, and she's turning way more towards the black. And now they're starting to meet in this little shade of gray. That's so great. That's that. Yeah. It's it's so cool to see them their dials start actually getting turned on the same level. It's so so good.
1: It's funny. It reminds me a lot of um the the the, the core central plot of Breaking Bad. Um, I, I you haven't seen it, have you? Never. Uh, you got to get on that shit, dude. But um, essentially, the, the stories of, of, of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman and how they start from where they are in season one to when it ends in season five. But like somewhere around the middle, they kind of intertwine and they're at the same spot. It, that's totally what this reminds me of. But uh, essentially, Abercrombie uh, questions Mildred and James. James protects Mildred by saying that uh, they're at his place and they're a couple. James uses the opportunity to ask Mildred out. I'll go out to dinner with you, but I ain't going to fuck you. Well, I ain't going (laughs) to fuck you neither, I
0: guess. (laughs) You know what he sounds like to me? He sounds like, uh, is it Toby, the the guy from family Guy was like oh no somebody didn't eat all these oreos oh yeah <laughs> that's all i could think of when i was seeing him i was like yeah. but i love so, him man i love the fact that he's a little pool shark like he's fucking badass at pool i love playing pool it's one of the sports i'm pool. like yeah, yeah i'm like halfway not garbage at pool so i'm like oh cool i actually like playing a little bit of pool so seeing him seeing him yeah. kick that dude's ass yeah. at the beginning i was like oh wow <laughs>
1: Uh, Dixon's wheeled in by the nurse to a hospital room in which Welby's in as well. Uh, his face is bandaged, so Welby doesn't know it's Dixon. This is, at first I was like, oh, this is convenient, but man, this is such an affecting scene because Welby plays, oh, sorry, um, Caleb Landry-Jones plays this so well here as Welby. Like, Welby asks him if he wants a glass of orange juice and Dixon starts just crying, dude, just saying sorry for throwing him out the window. You know, initially Welby's just taken it back, but you know he's just like, stop crying. You know, the salt will fuck up your wounds. Thought the salt was supposed to be good for wounds, <laughs> but uh, it you know the way it ends is just beautiful because Welby just pours him the orange juice and places it next to Dixon's bed, and this is <clears> Dixon <throat> first like experiencing firsthand what it looks like to forgive. Like right, This, exactly. this, this informs his character so well, but um. Yeah. T- talk to me about this thing, dude.
0: No. Yeah. I think that, you know, if when we have this moment of and I, I think it's also key for um for love of God, Peter Dinklage's character. Never. I never even remember James. a name. James. For James to, you know, because obviously he's got a thing, uh, you know, he, he's, he's got a thing for her and, and and he's you know, he's covering for her. And he's kind of one of the only friends that she has, other than the woman. What's the woman that she works with, the woman who gets the drug charges? I don't ever hear uh, her name. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll find a name. Well, either or, it's not super important, like those are really kind of like her only friends in this. So they take her to jail and then, you know, James is the one kind of covering for her. Denise. Sorry. Denise. Okay, cool. But yeah, she's, you know, James is kind of like covering for her and, and we see the extent that like your friends are doing like illegal shit to cover this shit up for you. And then we cut over to Dixon who's in the hospital. Who's like, you know, Willoughby is like his only friend. You never see him talk to anybody. You never see him interacting. He's either at home with his mom or he's like drinking by himself and being a dick. So to see him forced to be interacted with with this guy that, you know, you are the reason I'm in here. Like, you're the reason why. I mean, dude, I mean, God damn. Uh, Was it Willoughby? Right, Willby, Welby. yeah, Welby. Um, man, he. I mean, I knew he took a beating, but like, fuck, he looks bad. Like, and it justifies his reaction. Yeah, it threw yeah.
1: him off a second-story window.
0: Right. Yeah, and that, like, I mean, come on, don't be such a pussy about it, dude. Get
1: over it. Um, <laughs> no, but like, uh, we and we sorry, we totally went past it, but like, the the sound of his body hitting that road was sounded so legit. Oh,
0: yeah, I, I got to go back and look. This is just like a splatty kind of sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it's him being shown this act of like forgiveness. There, There's so many kind of mirrors and like Willoughby sending uh, Mildred the note and being like, hey, listen, I'm not mad at you. You know, I'm the one who funded the damn thing. <clears throat> so I'm not sitting here telling you that this is a bad idea, you know, but I, in the way that, that Wellby can forgive. Dixon and that and the Willoughby can forgive Mildred, it's like you need to find time to, A, forgive yourself because you feel so much guilt over what happened with your daughter, obviously, with that scene. But also at the same time, <clears throat> not forgive the person who did this to your kid, because how could you ever do that? But in time, you know, there, there are plenty of people who come out and they're like, I forgive you for doing this. You know, ultimately, I have to in order for me to move on. And and I don't I mean, obviously, this is way far down the line we're talking you know this is only seven months away but at some point you know i i think that like the cancer that's eating willoughby he's seeing the cancer of her grief eat her alive and he's like you can't let that happen to you he's like you have got to maybe move on a little bit you've got to make maybe i'm not saying move on and forget your kid ever existed but you're now you're going you're backpedaling you're getting farther and farther into the grief and the trauma and the mourning and stuff and You know, that's perfectly fine at first, but this is like a, you know, I don't think I don't think Willoughby gives a shit that his name is up there, honestly. Like maybe at first, but I think as time goes on, he's like, it doesn't even matter whose name is up there. The point is that you're the one doing this and it's ultimately affecting you the worst. So I, I think there's interest. There's some interesting mirroring. Of the forgiveness kind of circle that's going on, and the uh, the ultimate of like I guess really Wellby's the only one who's like a fucking really nice guy. He didn't do shit, um, but uh, it's this nice kind of pattern of Wellby with Dixon and Willoughby with Mildred, and it's like, damn, that's that's fucking cool, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of mirror imagery. There's a lot of, of echoing. Shit. Yeah, right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. To, to put a very long winded explanation <laughs> short, there's a lot of <laughs> echoing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I'm a good summarizer, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so Jerome, uh, who uh, assisted in putting the build odds up in the first place, he's the uh, the the African American dude. Right, uh, comes to Mildred's place to offer a set of duplicate posters, and um, yeah, she takes him up on it. Mildred and Robbie are putting up the posters. James is uh, holding Mildred's ladder steady. And uh, a car pulls up. Denise gets out. She's out because the judge said the arrest report weren't filled out right. You know, you got to do your P's and Q's, dude. That's fucking <laughs> Dixon, man. You know that yeah, idiot. I know. <laughs> he fucking I did something stupid. I was thinking, too. <laughs> oh, man. Jerome comes to Mildred uh, to ask about the last poster with Willoughby's name on it because he's dead and all. Why not? He paid for it. (laughs) See, I wasn't expecting that when she when they willed it out. I was
0: expecting her to be like, no, I want to put something different, like not chief, blah, blah, blah. You know, why are you doing this? Like maybe instead of saying that, saying Ebbing, Missouri, how could you let this happen or something like that? Like and maybe that's just cheesy. It's just the first thing that popped into my head. But I did think that she was going to end up putting something else. But when she went with it, I was like, I guess that's really the only choice. He did pay for it. Like you're not being Everyone else thinks you're being disrespectful, but the person that it matters to the most, who is dead and not here anymore, is the is one of the only ones that that really matters, and he's the one who paid for it. He wants you to do this, so fucking do it, man. It's the, it makes the most sense, you know.
1: Yep, indeed. I, I I thought, see, I thought initially that she was she wasn't gonna put that up as well, but yeah, I mean, like what she says, although it sounds like a joke, like you know, why not? He paid for it. He did, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, And then we get a bit of a time jump, right? A few weeks later, Dixon's better and he's sitting at the bar. Truck pulls up outside and uh, our guy that we met earlier in the gift shop with Mildred and a, a, a friend of his enter and sit down in the booth behind Dixon. And then, you know, this is kind of intercut with Mildred and James at dinner. Uh, Charlie and Penelope enter and pass, pass them. Charlie's smiling at the side of Mildred with a dwarf. Mildred has a fleeting look of embarrassment, which James notices. And uh, Mildred tells uh, James who he is, my ex-husband, nineteen-year-old girlfriend. And I do like, I do like that James is like, "Do you want to leave?" Right? Like he's being a gentleman about it. Like, "You want to leave?" Mildred's like, "No, a deal's a deal." And then um, we got Dixon again. You know, he's listening to this guy telling this uh, about the story. It's basically the story about you know him raping this woman or young girl with his buddies, mm-hmm. uh, and you know. So this I'm not going to go into detail, but you, you get the you get the gist of it. Right. Well, let's right. talk about this entire sequence in 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 detail and then we'll move over to the restaurant stuff. I'm not going to keep into cutting. So let's talk no, about the yeah. bar scene first.
0: <clears throat> well, uh, and I, if I don't point this out, I'm going to forget not to jump right back to the bar scene. The husband, Charlie, have you ever seen from Dust Till Dawn? No, no. He is uh, this liquor store owner and from Dust Till Dawn. And I guess he was doing, like, bit part stuff in the 90s and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I saw him on, like, an actor's roundtable with, like, a supporting actors thing. And I was like, like, for The Hollywood Reporter, I was like, what the fuck? Okay, cool. That guy came <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, but he's great. And he's got a sudden look about him, right? Yeah, he does. He's kind of got this, like, he looks like if Elvis had, like, an elf stunt double. Like, he's kind of got this, like, <laughs> squirmy little, like, mm. um uh, <clears throat> Like, um... But no, I, I, I love this bar scene. Th- this guy, I, I guess if we want to call him the rapist, you know, I don't know what this guy's name is, the the this fucked up dude. He's just got such a weird look on him, man. His in, nostrils in the, script,
1: in the script he's just named as crop haired
0: guy. Crop haired guy. All right, so old yeah. Cropsy. There's just <laughs> something there's something so goofy looking about his like lips and nose. Like he looks like a monkey. Like, he looks like a little ape, and I don't know what it is that cracks me up about looking at this dude. But, no, this this whole scene is great. I I, I love – because it, he he's practicing the things that he's learned. He's being calm. He's thinking. He's being rational. Like, if you were to get in an altercation with somebody, um, if, you know, if, if something were to happen, if I think something is about to go down and I want to know who you are, where you're from, where I can find you later – he does the right move. He goes out there and he gets some, you know, it would be the same thing as, like, if, if he didn't want them to leave and he went outside and, like, yanked the spark plugs out of the truck without them knowing. It's like, I am, I, again, this is like, oh, God, this podcast is going so fucking long I forgot about what I said earlier, where he is cutting off the source of the problem. He's not going to cork up the pipe. He's going to cut off the water. And that's what I dig is, like, he's not going in there with brute force and punching the shit out of these guys, which I do love that. But there's been a lot of that in this movie. He goes in smart and is like, I need to know the information and know who the hell these guys are. No, this is, uh, this is a great scene, especially, again, A, he looks like a fucking total badass. I love it. But the whole the, the whole magic trick thing and blah, 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 and the 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 realization on uh, the crop haircut a guy's face when he's like, has he been sitting behind us the whole time? And it's like, oh, fuck. Like, that guy's yeah. like, I have said some incriminating shit. And I'm like, I really dig that because that's the only... You see, this guy's kind of a smug little fuck. And when he looks over, he's like, "Uh, I might have just really fucked up, dude. <laughs> really, really fucked up. What did you think about this scene, though?
1: I I really dug this scene. This this scene felt out of all, out of all the scenes, this one is the one that felt Tarantino to me. Like it was kind of like this long, sort of protracted, sort of dialogue scene, and we're kind of building tension. We're building to something. That's what. That's what. That's I don't know. It felt inherently Tarantino to me. It felt um, very
0: like Inglorious Bastards bar scene, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But at this point, I was praying for this movie to tell me that this guy, like, I did not want this guy to be Angela Hayes' murderer. Like, I was like, please, for the love of God, don't let this random guy um, just randomly sit behind Dixon and it be the killer. I don't want that, please. Because, like, when you're watching this movie, you're like, this is not the kind of movie to solve it for you at the end. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not really expecting there to be someone to be caught like this is not that kind of film like this is not that kind of movie where you find the killer at the end i i i really really didn't want that so you know i the uh, dixon's dixon's um approach here is fantastic like him acting more drunk than he's supposed to be um you know him sitting down into their booth and i love the The crop guy guy's just like, well, go on, show us a trick. Like he's he's <laughs> like he's he's in on it. Like he's just like, oh, all right, I want to see it. But yeah, the the DNA stuff with the fingernails. Um, you know, the person I watched that with, it got that immediately. She's like, oh, okay, so he's gonna he's gonna use that as evidence. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't really catch that. But yeah, that's yeah. a good. Yeah, good catch. Lindsay Lindsay did the same thing. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Um, but then he gets the fucking shit beat out of him, right? Like Ooh. they. Um, uh, like, cause Denise is there as well. And like, you know, she's like, oh, he's a cop. And, um, <laughs> where's his badge? I lost my badge.
0: <laughs> what I really wanted. I thought it would have been hilarious if he's like, where's your badge? He's like, I lost my, and then all of a sudden it like falls out of the, like the breast shirt pocket. He's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> I was expecting something like really dark. And this guy's spitting his teeth out and be like, hey, there's my
1: badge. <laughs> But that last kick that he receives, man, whew, that yeah. that one, that one, you'll see ya. Like that, you're gone. <laughs> right. <It's, laughs> you, it's, have, it's, you have brain hemorrhage.
0: It's really hard to watch somebody get like fucking NFL punted in the face. You know what I mean? It's like, ooh, that's yeah. hard to watch, man. I I watched a video today of, uh, it was a brain, and it was like a model of a brain inside of a skull. And what your brain does when you get just get a concussion it's like watching your brain just wiggle back and forth, and it's like, oh my yeah. god, to get kicked in the face that fucking hard? Like, Jesus H. Christ, it man. It fucking
1: bounces around in there, yeah. But anyway, man, yeah, I really dug this scene. This was a fantastic. It felt like a climax, like a, a climactic sequence that I was like really grateful for it to have. Uh, wh- you know what? What did you think about that? That whole point about this guy potentially being the serial killer, oh, sorry, being Angela Hayes' killer. Did you want the film to give you an answer?
0: I think there's a way to compromise. I think, like what I said earlier, this the guy is mentioning stuff that's way too specific. And oh, totally. But it is not uncommon in wartime for what I mean. What we find out about him, I mean that that is not uncommon to happen. As fucked up as yeah. it is, that is not uncommon for people to go into another country and you know violate their women and set them
1: on fire. I'm gonna pause you right there and plug uh, case file. Have you had oh, that yeah. episode? No, 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 no. Uh, Listen to it. I can't remember what number case it is, but the case file podcast. It's called the Janabi family. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Fucking whack.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of exactly what I'm getting at. You know, these four or five guys. So, I, I think it can go either way. But I, what I wish had happened was maybe he wasn't the one that's why the dna doesn't get any hits but he's talking about yeah the other two guys i think they got off and just watching if this guy is just lying about it and he's like no i am just one of the guys who watched it i didn't have the you know i just wanted to seem tough like i was this tough guy who raped this chick and set her on fire you know and like i i i i wish that Maybe if there were like a little bit of compromise there, uh, I don't want to see like some law-abiding citizen thing where they go out and find him in Idaho and strap him to a chair yeah. and cut his nuts off or something. But yeah. I, I don't know. I think that it's too much of a coincidence and it's too much of a happy ending to walk in and say, "Yep, that's him. Lucky us." It's like, no. I think that. I think that they're. I, I think that if there was a way, they're like, listen. We got a partial match. It's not enough to put him away, and he could still not be the guy. We don't know. Blah blah blah. If there was something, not you know, we haven't. We have the ambiguity, uh, ambiguity of Dixon's assault. We have the ambiguity of what happens at the end. Uh, we have the ambiguity of whether you know um, Mildred's really drunk driving with her kids in the car. You know, I I, I wouldn't mind a little bit more and uh, a little bit of, and some more answers. No, I was uh, ambiguity. Sorry, I fucking my word, I couldn't say. It. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even mind a little bit more right there for them to say like, we don't know. It could be him. It could not be him. Uh, the guy doesn't have any priors, but that doesn't mean anything. But his DNA is everything. You know, blah blah. There's some kind of compromise in the middle there. That if if I had more time, I'm sure I could sit here and spit out. Um, yeah. But yeah. I I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, it as much as I hate to admit it, in a in the real world, it makes the most sense. You know.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh so back at the restaurant, James goes to the toilet. Charlie comes over to say uh they could have double dated. Mildred starts to explain herself why she hasn't why she's having dinner with a midget. Charlie says she doesn't have to. James comes back and sees Charlie's taking his seat. Charlie says, sorry for putting billboards on fire. Boom. Ooh. Mildred just stares at him. Right? Ooh, Charlie continues man. about anger. Yeah. Yeah. Penelope's <laughs> Penelope said to him, Anger begets greater anger. James asks if Penelope says, said begets. <laughs>
0: yeah, I laughed my ass off at that me part, too, man. Dude. Um, yeah. What yeah. did you think about the reveal that it's actually Charlie who set them on fire?
1: I liked it, you know, because yeah. it didn't really occur to me at all. Like, I was like, uh, A, I couldn't think of a motive, right? I couldn't think of a motive. Like, if anything, I thought it was going to be Dixon, but. Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? You loved it? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I think it's one of the
0: it is so unexpected. And yeah. and because you know what we have done, we have said, you know what, that's pretty fucked up for her to do that to Dixon. We don't feel bad about that shit. You threw a kid out a window, you beat up a black guy, you burned down these fucking billboards. And then when it comes back that one out of those three is not correct, and he ended up saving the fucking file of the woman's daughter that yeah. burned his face. And it's like, holy shit. And that's another thing, like, yeah, he burned your billboards. So you're gonna burn down the you know the police station, and you almost killed him the same way that your daughter died. And it's like, God damn, the irony in that is like, fuck, man. Yeah, the cyclical nature of that shit. Yeah, yes. Sure. Yes.
1: Yeah. Colin, I need you to calm down. All right, just—that's.
0: <laughs> I mean, I love that. I was like, that's a perfect. The cyclical nature. I was like, yes, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs>
1: oh man, uh, Mildred wants to go home. Says they can do dinner another time. And James doesn't want it because uh, she's embarrassed the whole time being a midget. Um, he knows he is not a catch, but who the hell is she? She's that billboard lady who never ever smiles, who never has a good word to say about anybody, and who in the evening times sets fire to fucking. Police stations. <laughs> dude, the look on
0: his face when she's like, you forced me to. He's like, and he's looking at her just like, I forced you to? He's
1: like, I yeah. asked you. Like, oh, the hurt in his Dinklage eyes is palpable. Is incredible, dude. Yeah. And he's the one who's not a catch. James leaves us saying, I didn't, I didn't have to come and hold your letter. Man, I felt that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the way he spits that out, I'm just like, dude, yeah, you really didn't need to hold a letter, dude, but. She it makes me, like it makes me laugh, though. I don't know what it is. About. I didn't have to come and
0: hold your ladder.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it. I mean, like, in the scale of things, it feels tiny, but to him, it feels it's its the biggest thing on the planet, right? Like, right. It's right. all about perspective. Yeah. Mildred takes a wine bottle and slowly walks over to Charlie's table, looking like she's about to make a scene. Asked Penelope if she really told him anger begets greater anger or not. She says she did. She read it from a book about polio. No, polo. What's the one with the horses? <laughs> Uh, Mildred looks at them for a moment and places the bottle on the table for them to finish, uh, and what does she say to, to Charlie, right? She says, don't hurt her.
0: Right, yeah. Basically saying, don't do to her what you did to me. Um, Right. Which I do, I do love. She's like, I read it on a bookmark. (laughs) In a book I was reading.
1: She seems, (laughs) she's so innocent, and like the way, like, you know, she smiles after, Mildred puts down the wine bottle and says, Don't, you know, don't hurt her. Like, she's, yeah, she's, she's, she's got no idea what's, what's coming. Right, right, right. Uh, and then we, of course, we got Dixon coming back to his mama's house. Um, this is heartbreaking, dude. Like, just the way he stumbles in, but his mum's reaction just, oh, she's good. She's great, man. Yeah. She is fantastic. She's like, my boy, my boy. Um, but yeah, Dixon manages to scrape the skin under the fingernails into a, I guess, evidence tube and uh, writes down the number plate, right? I didn't didn't think about that. Like I was like, oh shit, he memorized the number plate this whole time, that's awesome. Well, and him
0: being, because I mean, he is, <clears throat> I know he's semi-faking drunk, but I mean, pounding back a couple of shots, drinking a couple of beers, and then you go in and get your fucking face kicked in. It's yeah. like, damn, dude, like for him to... To have done all that, and like when he was writing the shit down and I'm like, oh, fuck, is he dying? Like, is he bit? like what the fuck happened to him? But I was like, oh, I I, what I what I assumed was that he's going to pass out in the bathroom. She'll call the police. The ambulance will show up and he'll have the vial with him at the hospital. I'm like, hey, yeah. somebody needs to take this. I'm like, dude, that's so fucking signed, sealed, delivered. You know, he's like, I've got it right here. Take the fucking evidence and run.
2: Hmm.
1: Mildred sitting on the swing set, Dixon with beanie in hand, a repeat of Willoughby and uh, his hat from long from from the start of the movie fucking echoes, right? Dixon tells her about the guy, but doesn't want to get her hopes up. Uh, he reminds me of Endgame. Don't do it. Don't give me hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to bring some Marvel into this, because it's us, right? Yeah. Uh, he got his DNA and the cops checking it as they speak. He heard them uh, talking about something that uh, he did to a girl in the middle of last year. Sounding like what happened to Angela. All they can do is hope. Uh, in the burnout office, I love this. Dude, th- this office is just black and they're just sitting in it. <laughs> Holy fuck, I did not even catch that.
0: Goddamn! Yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking but- dunce.
1: Yeah, because initially I was like, why is the lighting off in here? And I was like, no, no, this, this is a burnt out police station.
0: Yeah, the, ch- um, the chief the chief just hit a goth phase he never came out
1: of. <laughs> oh, man. But essentially he lets uh, Dixon know, no match of the DNA, no matches to any other crimes of this nature, to any crimes at all, in fact. And his record is clean. But essentially, yeah, he kind of... Well, (laughs) it makes Dixon play a a guessing game as to where he he was deployed somewhere sandy. Right.
0: So, like, I'm assuming, I
1: mean, this guy's probably just, like,
0: regular army. I I didn't know. I was kind of getting a vibe, like, is he saying that this dude's, like, special ops or he's, like, maybe, a you know, I'm not not like a badass, but, like, this dude was in a very secret place that, like, he was. Because, you know, if he were just deployed, he could say he was in the army. He got deployed. And it's like, no, this guy was in a classified place. It's like. Okay, he sounds like a little bit more important than... It's not a huge thing, but I just didn't know if you picked up on that at all.
1: No, I didn't. I actually didn't. Like, I I didn't think that um, Abercrombie was keeping something from him. Maybe he was just trying to make him guess. I don't know. Um, Well, fuck me! No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Dixon says, he might not be that guy, but he's still done something shitty. Right, right, right. And he surrenders his badge, because he found it, apparently. Uh, And then, of course... In our closing moments here, Dixon calls Mildred, and Mildred's uh, back at the billboards. He tells her that it's not their guy, right? And um, I love love Mildred's reaction here, just the way she's kind of like hitting herself, and you can hear it over the phone. Dixon says, I'm sorry I got your hopes up. It's alright, at least I had a day of hoping, which is more than I've had for a while. Uh, and then Dixon tells, uh, tells her about the rapist, right? Oddly t- taps a shotgun against his lips. Do you reckon he was about to kill himself? I don't know. I, I I think
0: I I don't think so. I think he's just picking up the gun and he's like, "Man, I, di- I took that beating for nothing. I feel like I need to go out there. Not for nothing. I mean, it's for us. It's a. It's it's very. That's very Christ-like. I mean, it is. It's. I mean, not and not even just Christ, like the sacrificial. I mean, I am Iron Man. Snap. Whatever. Like. You taking the beating of your fucking life after you've already had half the beating of your fucking life, taking this beating, and ultimately you don't know if the outcome will be good or bad. But it's the fact that you took the risk and you assumed the responsibility is what makes you a hero. Maybe, maybe a, an anti-hero, maybe a little bit of a, you know somewhere in the middle. Um, but I just, I just absolutely love that. So I think when he picks up the shotgun, I think he's just sitting there. Thinking, I think he's like, you know what? I might not be a cop anymore, but I still got a gun. He's like, and you know, I'm yeah. I, I, I'm calm. I'm thinking, and all my calm thoughts have led me to this.
1: Yeah, I, I think I never, I never thought that he was actually seriously going to kill himself. But I think Martin McDonough kind of like pulls a fast one here. He's, I think he kind of like wanted us to initially consider that because it's like. If we're going by the cyclical nature of cyclical nature of this movie, then Dixon kills himself like Willoughby killed himself, but instead Dixon decides to reach out to Mildred to offer some condolences. Yeah. Hmm. The curse is broken, people. That's cute. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fuck you. <yeah. laughs> but uh yeah, lives in Idaho. That's funny. Driving to Idaho in the morning. Want some company? Sure. <laughs> Next day, uh, they head out, you know fucking all chummy hey dixon yeah i need to tell you something it was me who burned down the police station well who the hell's who the hell else would it have been
0: oh that's so great so that's so fucking good fucking great right right well because it's like yeah who else would it be you know you like why why would it be somebody else i think that's what's so fantastic about it is like once you stop and really think about it it's like yeah yeah, who would it be? You know? <laughs> he's it shows you that Dixon maybe is not even really that dumb. He's starting to use a little bit of common sense, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or or this entire ordeal has just kind of unlocked something in him and he's just kind of using his intelligence now. <laughs> right. He's got some like weird like sixth sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um but my I love this exchange at the end. So Mildred asked Dixon if he's sure about killing this guy and and, uh he says not really and mildred says me too and uh she says i guess we can decide along the way right for show, do you let
0: me ask you this think they kill him no same here i don't yeah i think it ruins the entire message of this movie if they show up to this guy's door blast both barrels of that at him and take off and it's like (laughs) dude, that's that's so amateur and like juvenile and like immature. It just—I don't know. Maybe in like Punisher or like you know Death Wish or something, but no, I don't. I don't think in this movie.
1: Yeah, not not. It's not really what they're going for here. Plus, I think. Uh, I mean, even if this guy does like fully confess, like let's say you know they do barge down their door and this guy confesses, I think, I think these two hear him out. and um. You know, there'll be some fucking violence for sure, but they won't kill him. do I think.
0: Right. I, the thing that I was wondering about was, um, look at what has happened so far. She has made the mistake once of judging somebody off an assumption. And like, I mean, like, yes, the guy has had some crazy story that Dixon has overheard. But it's still just a story, and it's the same thing of like she was just so certain that Dixon was the one who set the billboards on fire, and look what happened. You almost killed that guy. And it's like, could you live with yourself if you went even farther with that? Look how mortified she was when she lit Dixon on fire now imagine you just you just blew some guy's head off who was completely innocent,
1: right right, right it's exactly. like
0: it's like no, I just I don't think so and uh, I don't even really like the fact that it's left ambiguous, because it's like, I I don't know, to each his own, but it really You wanted it to be
1: completely, like, no, the answer was no? Yeah,
0: because I I, I don't know, I just think it hits a point where it's like, this is enough, man, like, enough is enough, and um, I'm not- I'm okay, and I'm not okay with knowing what happened to her daughter, but I'm- (sighs) The point is, we've crossed that bridge. We know that the, that that case will probably not be solved. Unfortunately, that's a very common thing. It happens all the time. It is fucked up. And that's just not right. But that is the world that we live in. But I, I need her to be the one to make the choice to be like, no, like and Dixon, you know, he's had his moment of redemption. This is her moment of redemption. This is her letting go and saying, no, we can't do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I guess that the ambiguous ending leaves it to where you don't have to have like that. You don't have to have that last scene of of closure of, oh, I'm just so great now and I don't need to, you know, do this anymore. But I think it'd be great if she just turned the car off and she's like, we don't need to do this. And the ending, I would love that the ending scene were just her tearing down the billboards and be like, no, I don't need this anymore. Like whoever he is, you know, if something, you know, I've I've grown I've put these billboards up. I've watched the Chief of Police blow his brains out. The billboard's been burned down. I burned down this uh I burned down the fucking uh police station. I think I've drawn enough attention to this case. hopefully something will ha- will come of it because ultimately that was her that was her goal. Her goal was to draw attention to this and get the police to act and that's what's happened now and I think her character has uh, she has achieved her goals, and I think for her to go and murder somebody. That she doesn't know who one hundred percent did it. They definitely didn't. Definitely didn't murder her daughter, and they might have not even really done what they said they did. So I think for her to go back and even murder him is totally out of out of line with that character and that arc. And at the same time, I think her letting that go is like, you know what? I I just it's not. I can't spend my whole life wanting to go around murder people and lumping them all in the same category. You know, I, I think right, it's her right. breaking away from the. Lumping all these people into the same category and saying, "You know what? You're a rapist. I'll kill you because any rapist will do." It's like, no, that's not. No, that's I, I just, just no.
1: <laughs> and uh, and I think like you know, it, it goes especially for for Dixon because that means that. The lesson that Willoughby taught in his dying words means nothing, right? Like through love comes calm, and through calm comes thought. And you need thought to detect stuff sometimes. Like I like that message that Willoughby's trying to get across there doesn't really correlate to Dixon having a hand in the murder of a of a person who A, could have been just bragging about something that he didn't do, and B, uh, there's no evidence to link him to a crime, right?
0: Right, yeah, exactly, and I, I think that the whole message of love, which we haven't really talked about a lot, if we can do it briefly, because I'm not really a fan of you know, it's kind of it just made me think of Interstellar. Interstellar, like it's, yeah, it's like it's it's love, Tars. It's uh, it's the fifth dimension. Um, but um, but no, the, whole, <laughs> it's like Greg the whole. Yeah, it's okay. Um, the thing of um, the thing of love. I think that in a way, in a weird, weird way, she she loves Dixon. And and, and the way of like, you did that for me. You did that for my daughter. You let yourself, you let that happen to you for, for, for my kid to solve this. And here I was trying to almost kill you. It's like, wow, that I think that that's more so of the lesson for Dixon. It's a lesson. It's a lesson for her. You know, if you could forgive the enemy of somebody like that. Wow. Like that's that's a huge growing up moment, you know? Yeah
1: yeah yeah and and, you know throughout the movie like there's no we don't see Mildred take any steps to move past this like we brought this up earlier she's so you know adamant in her stance that she's going to get justice right like there's no you know oh I'm seeing a a psychiatrist for you know the death of my daughter or any steps taken to move on um so I'm I, I hope that like I know she's a fictional character, but I hope that like she eventually finds some peace by moving on. So yeah. Yeah, there you go. Whew, man. That's uh that's a movie. That's a m that's a podcast. Was well, not expecting <laughs> us to go this long.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what you um, said last time. No, yeah, ah, I
1: know. No, actually ah, that's a good thing. <laughs> uh so I do have a question from Danny Felt, right? Okay. He says Oh, by the way, he says he hasn't seen this movie, full disclosure. But uh, the question's kind of related. I hope you can touch on the trend of Oscar bait movies that are made now. In the year this one, I don't think any of the nominees made their production budget back at the office at the box office before being nominated. In response to this trend, haven't the Oscars created a category for popular movies? Do you think the Academy of Motion Pictures is becoming out of touch with general audiences? Are these types of movies not being marketed correctly? Or are audiences more interested in escapism in turbulent times we live in? You know what? That's a good question because this movie in particular, I've, I've seen... Like, less so than the other reasons that I mentioned earlier. Uh One of the reasons people don't like it is because it's kind of Oscar bait. Like, that's their argument, that it's Oscar bait. I don't think it is. I think it's a fantastic story with great, you know, themes and ideas and a fantastic message behind it with great acting and, you know, fantastic production. But whatever. If you want to boil it down to uh, Oscar bait, then fine. I think... uh <sighs> I don't think that the Academy is becoming out of touch with general audiences. I think, you know, the fact that they had um, movies like Black Panther nominated for Best Picture, like, that, that is saying something. Um, and I know that there was a big cultural sort of, like, movement behind that movie being nominated for Best Picture, but, like, at the same time, like, it's, it's they are kind of hearing people. Like, they're hearing the, the popular opinion that's out there. I think all of the movies that were nominated last year and in 2017 deserve to be nominated. Uh, do I reckon Green Book should have won last year? Probably not, but it was a fantastic movie. So, um, I don't know, Daniel. I, I can't really answer this question in detail right now because we've gone on for so fucking long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and to me, I'm not going to lie. I've never watched the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's not something I really enjoy. Cool, somebody won an award, I'm, uh, you know, whatever. Um, do I... Th- I think that there is a trend of the kind of movies that are coming back that one might consider Oscar bait, you know, Nightcrawler or something like Zodiac or Prisoners or this. They're these movies that um, I think are kind of causing a moral kind of argument for something that's happening. Uh, And I think that I think that's a great thing. Now, I I don't want to talk out of term because, again, never watched the Oscars. You know, I've never really gotten into them. I can touch on like... um, do is the academy of uh, motion pictures coming out of touch with general audiences um with the g- general audience maybe I, I i don't know i but i do think that you know I, is the general audience you know did the did the general audience love Endgame probably yeah i'm pretty sure the scores are through the roof does that mean it's going to get an oscar no and and i think that usually when something wins an oscar it's something that has a little bit more authenticity well, like something with a little, a little bit more artistic merit, you know, I would say that Three Billboards, uh, you know, has a little bit more artistic merit than Endgame. Endgame's still a great movie. It's wonderfully shot. But that is not that doesn't have, like you said, the staying power, the depth, the timeless kind of feel to it, you know, or or something. Right. And maybe that's not exactly what he's talking about. I don't want to speak out of term. And, you know, um, it's actually, I'm just going to call him real quick and get him on the line. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but um I, I do agree with audiences are more interested in escapism uh, because that's me. I am always more interested in escapism and stuff like that. I, I <laughs> like movies like this and I like stuff like Nightcrawler, Zodiac, Prisoners. Those are great. But when I come home, I want to watch fucking aliens. You know, I want to watch Stranger Things. I want to watch something that I always see this quote and I love it. And it was a Star Wars related thing. It's like my heart belongs in a, in a place far, far away. And I've always fucking th- thought that like of like Star okay. Wars or something. It's always nice to zone out of where you are. And I love the escapism um, of stuff. There's actually a, a a band name and a song name kind of thing we were working on at one point was um, that had to do with like escapism and getting out of, you know, drawing yourself a door and you using that door to to get out of wherever you're at. Um, and I've just, I've always been a big fan of that. You know, uh, there's been some times where I was real down in the dumps and, you know, fucking broke as shit and living on a friend's couch, but I had a book and I'm sitting there reading that book or playing that video game and I could have the time of my life and not have to think about the bullshit that was going on. That's why I love
1: transported somewhere else. Yeah,
0: right. That's why I love listening to podcasts and doing podcasts because, Hey, you know, I'm not worried about the fact that it's almost two o'clock in the fucking morning I'm happy that we have this, you know, we're back in the saddle again and we just did this awesome long episode. I don't mind the episodes being longer. I know this is running long. I don't even mind this being long because, you know, we don't do them as often anymore, to be completely honest. Like with them yeah. only coming out every couple of weeks, you know, I, I'm fine with longer episodes. My throat is sore as fuck. I need some coffee. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, um, it's this has been a really fun episode. I think that's an amazing question from daniel next time we need to do that in the beginning
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, yeah yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry daniel that we didn't get to uh, i guess answer your question in more substantial detail well,
0: but and what i would love is to take yeah. that chunk of his question and put that in the after party and ask the other <laughs> people yeah. hey what do you guys think Um, But I'm going to say, I I think this movie is a good solid, you know, I pretty much said I don't really need any closing thoughts. I've said everything I really need to say. Mm. It's a great story of redemption and learning to forgive and learning to forgive yourself and knowing when to stop because, you know, it's kind of I, I, I don't know, it's kind of like doing anything like combing your hair. You know, you're combing your hair and you're trying to look nice, but then you're just doing it too much and you're just ripping your fucking hair out and you're hurting yourself. It's like at some point you need to stop what you're doing because it's only hurting yourself now. And I think that this movie is a prime example of that. <clears throat> um it's a great story of redemption, it's a great story of anti heroes and, and character arcs. Couple things I would take out of it, but for the most part, I would say probably like an eight and a half or a nine out of ten. I, I think this is a really it's shot well, it's got a great story. It kind of kept me guessing what, like, what was happening and the twist, you know, the revelation of him, of the chief shooting himself, of Dixon being the one to get the DNA, of Charlie being the one to, d- to burn down the billboards. I was like, what the fuck, man? Um, so it, it kept me guessing. And there was only a few things that I really called earlier on. You know what this thing? This movie does not remind me of anything else. And that's that's fucking major brownie points. Perfectly right there. Yeah. Right. It's very unique. So
1: I'm gonna say like an eight and a half to a nine out of ten. Absolutely, dude. I there is nothing in that in that little spiel that you just gave that I disagree with. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and, and run with it because yeah, this is an absolutely outstanding film. Great story with great thematic uh thematic storytelling. Um the the lessons that we're supposed to take away from this are just you know, ultimately this is a dark story, but it's, it's got a positive message, right? Like, it's got positive messages in it. Um, the balance between drama and comedy is outstanding, and it's really uh, Coen Brothers-esque. Like, it reminded me a lot of Fargo and a lot of their sort of, like, uh, dramedies. <laughs> so... Um, really props props for that uh, Martin McDonough. just again really really brilliantly uh, put this film together man um, mm-hmm. I think the MVP here is Frances McDormand I don't think this film works without her I think if you plug another actress into this it might not be as strong um, but this you know she's she's not that far in front of fucking Sam Rockwell dude like he just owns his role so like both of the Oscars here are just absolutely well deserved um i will absolutely watch this film again um it was not a chore to watch this for the podcast um i remember like i said earlier when i wanted to choose a film that kind of had some dramatic heft to it this came to mind immediately um only because for what you said like it's so unique and it just kind of sticks out like it's like a it's a diamond in the rough you know Um, so yeah really glad to have covered this podcast really glad to cover this movie during this podcast and really glad to have fucking gotten in depth about it um, I also love that we're kind of running a bit over long because like you said, we're not doing this as uh, often as we are. Uh, um, right. you know, the upcoming attractions episodes, you know, I'm on, I'm on every week you're on biweekly, but the upcoming attractions episodes, they're not long enough for me. And they're not, you know, thematically, we don't dive into the themes like we do on these episodes. So I'm really, it's, I'm really, it's, uh, it's fucking cathartic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, and I also, you, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, we we like to look down our noses and act like we're smart, but we're not. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um,
0: I I didn't want to leave this one out. Robert Brooke uh, in the after party saying that he loved this movie, had me Uh, straight from tears to laughing at times. Uh, I'm a sucker for a redemption story, and I hated Sam Rockwell's character in the beginning, but I think he saved himself. I think that's perfect. I totally agree with that. Thanks for For commenting, Robert. Uh, I haven't seen him comment before. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a shout out right here. I really appreciate anybody who drops a comment in. Yeah,
1: I I know, Rob. He just uh, celebrated his birthday. Yeah, he's awesome. Nice. Happy
0: birthday, man. but if you got anything else, do you want to? I'll put some socials. We can beam yeah, us, beam us out of here. Close
1: us the fuck out of here, dude.
0: Yeah, uh, guys, really, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all the people that commented, Daniel. You had a great question. I'd love to see that kind of explored more in the after party. I think that's got some some really cool corners to that question that I'd love to tackle more in depth. Um, but if you guys want to join that community, you know, comment, get your comments read on air. Maybe get a hold of that conversation, sink your teeth into it, and join us with it. You can find us on Facebook at Midnight Double Feature. You can find the group attached to that called The After Party. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Midnight Double Feature. We're on Twitter at MDF Pod. We're on fucking YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're anywhere you get your motherfucking podcast. You can find us. Uh, also, please stop by, rate, and review us on iTunes. Give us some constructive criticism, you know. Stop by, give us five stars. You think we're fucking awesome. That's that'd be wonderful. Uh you can also shoot us an email, midnight at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at MDF Pod if I haven't said that already. Uh I can't, I can't remember, honestly. But uh this has been a lot of fun. It's great getting back into the saddle again and and uh and coming back and doing some stuff that's not you know 80s and uh, late 80s or early 2000s horror so this has been a lot of fun this is my first time watching this and I really enjoyed it and I'm definitely going to be buying it Do so have you got anything
1: else man no that's it thanks so much for joining us guys really appreciate you guys uh hanging out for the long one here fuck yeah guys thanks so much we will catch you next time see you later <laughs>